Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Gabriel Talks Football GTF, as I'm now referring to it in my mind. Um, before we begin, before I bring Greg in, uh, we had a loss here at the bar room. Uh, Bobby Bombs, uh, the founder, one of the founders of the Barfly Tailgate Show, his brother, Rich, who I met down at Bourbon A one year, um, passed away. He was awaiting a, uh, a kidney transplant. They had found a donor. Uh, they were going to, they were in preparation to, uh, to uh, do the surgery, but unfortunately uh, he was found uh, dead in his room on Friday. And so uh, we have, uh, I should say, Bobby has started a GoFundMe page, uh, which I have put up on the screen here. I've also pinned it to my Twitter account at Barroom Network. For those of you listening on audio and don't have access to Twitter, it is GoFundMe.me and it's forward slash 7045C411. The money raised is to pay for Ashley, his 16-year-old daughter's college fund. And so uh, I I took a look at the numbers already. So a lot of people are already uh, contributing. And I hope uh, if you can, uh, send a few bucks over their way. Uh, They're great people. And it's a sad, sad day here at the bar room. So I'll keep that up a little while and uh, and also tell you that we have another uh, draft-related show tonight. It is Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. I'm going to give a list of some of the players that I would I magically hope <laughs> fall to the Bears in the second round. Probably not going to happen, but it would be nice at least. And I'm not the draft expert by any means. Greg Gabriel is, uh, and uh, but uh, some of these players uh, look good on paper and then their highlight reels and uh, stuff I read about them and the stuff that Greg and others say about them. So I'm I'm uh, I'm going to share that list and our resident historian here at the bar room, Dan Aguirre, is going to talk about some draft day deals that he recalls. But with that, let me bring in the man. His name is Greg Gabriel. Greg, how are you, my friend? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good, man. You look so good this morning. Did you just get out of the gym? Your, your shoulder. No, I, you know, I, 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 I didn't go to the gym today. I took a day off. Look at that. Maybe that's good for you. <laughs> you, well, know I mean? you know, I took one day off last week. I, I went like 28 days in a row, and then mm-hmm. I took a day off last week and took another one off this week. So I'll... Uh, you know, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll just work out or lift six days a week. I'm going to work out today. I'm going to go down. You know, I got an elliptical and a bike downstairs. I'll do that, but I'm just not going to lift today. Yeah, we've been thinking about getting an elliptical. My wife just had a hip replacement surgery. So uh, we're uh, going to redo our little workout area here and make it uh, easier for her to recover quickly and have, get that hip ready for action. <laughs> How are you doing? She's doing really, really well. At the, at this point, I'm, I don't have to wait on her hand and foot anymore. So that's, that's a big relief, trust me. <laughs> um, when Nomad is said Greg is going to turn into a fat boy, no, that ain't going to happen. Greg ain't going to let that happen. <laughs> when I first met you, you were like over a two hundred pounds, right? I was. Well, I got a little heavy. I, you know, the, the entire time I worked for the Bears. I was between 185 and 192, mm-hmm. 193. Then I, you know, after I tore my Achilles, I was like inactive for a while. And I, my sweet tooth got got out of hand. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I ballooned up to about 210. And I was working in the XFL on the road there, you know, that away from home a lot. 
mm-hmm. and we weren't eating the best. And I, you know, I probably got up to two twelve, mm-hmm. and I came back from that, and you know, I had some lung problems, and then I had the uh, my knee surgery, and between that, working out, starting to work out again, I dropped down. I'm one seventy two. So it's amazing. Good for you, man. I had this great. And I kept it off for over a year now. So. You know, it's really going on about 14, 15 months that I that I've kept it off. So the yeah. problem is I don't have a lot of clothes I can wear. <laughs> for a bigger man. Everything's baggy. Are your are your pants down uh, around butt level, ass crack level? <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, I, I the only thing I bought different was uh, there's a few pairs of uh, you know nice pants that I had that that fit that my wife had gotten me a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then I had to buy some jeans, but a lot of the stuff is just, you know, hangs on me. Mm. Uh, Nomad says he is so glad that he doesn't like sweets. I wish I had the same problem. I, I have avoided sweets for a big, big part of my life because I was just so addicted to them. And then uh, once I left the corporate world, you know, I came home and I'm <laughs> popping candy and stuff. And it's just a bad habit I got to get off of. Anyway, let's talk uh, some football. Uh, the uh uh, today, uh, Khalil Herbert and Robert Quinn were awarded the Brian Piccolo uh, Award, which is a great honor. And during the press conference, Robert Quinn was asked about rebuilding, and he doesn't like the word at all. We're, we're waiting for tape to get in, but basically his quote was, I don't think that's the right way we should phrase it because the guys in the building are professionals, and I think everyone carries themselves to high expectations I believe, me personally, no player is better than me. And so he goes on basically to say, you know, I don't want to be a part of the rebuilding campaign. And uh, Ryan Poles was asked about that uh, afterwards, and he very kind of gingerly talked around the subject, or but basically said, you know, it's like a rebuilding a house. Some of the rooms need more help than others. So. You know, I, I thought that was a good comment, and he referenced – he watches some of these HGTV shows with his wife, and I do the same thing. Me with too. My wife. Yeah, and, and so uh, like Fixer Upper and mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah, it's it's really that's a very very valid point. There's mm-hmm. areas that need fixing. There's areas that don't, and he's doing his best to get. I don't think he's not going to get it all done this year, mm-hmm. but you want to lay a foundation. I think that's what the plan is. It's to lay a foundation this year. Next year they're going to have a lot of money. Uh, that doesn't mean they're going to spend it all, but they're going to spend it wisely. And, and you'll probably see, you know, bigger contracts going out next year as far as when they hit free agency. Hmm. Now, is that foundation, is there a crack in that foundation with news that uh, Byron Pringle was arrested for doing donuts uh, in his car uh, and uh, had a child in the car along with another adult? This, how concerning should that be for us fans? I'm not concerned in the least. Okay. I think it's what, you know, when TMZ was the one that reported it, that's all you needed to know. <laughs> it, it was much, to me, it's much to do about nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the, the worst thing he did, first of all, he's on a vacant street. There just happened to be a cop there. Okay. So <laughs> if the cop wasn't there, you know, he never would have got caught, but that's the same way when you're speeding. If a cop's not there, you don't get caught. Right. But had this, if his license hadn't been under suspension, yeah, this is a simple ticket. Yeah, you don't hear about it, right? But because his license was under suspension, 
Well, then he gets rested. You know, could, is he going to lose a game over? No. Mm-hmm. Could he get fined 10 grand or something from the league? Yeah. And he might turn around and appeal that. And that process takes a while. I, I You know, I think people are making a big deal out of nothing. It's not like, you know, I, I said to somebody last night, I said, Deshaun Watson may have sexually assaulted numerous women. It's two years later, he's still playing. Mm-hmm. This guy did a freaking donut out of Aiken Street. Give me a break. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Uh, I wish, you know, that it didn't happen. I wish the, the kid wasn't in there. But as Pusha T said, you know, he was throwing off for the kid. Uh, Pusha says he's done it before with his Mustang uh, 5.0. I used to have a Mustang 5.0. I never did the donuts because I was in a, I live, I grew up in a heavily, heavy crime infested area. So there were cops everywhere. I couldn't, couldn't get away with something like that. Is but that what your problem is you were in a heavily crime infested area? That's part of it. What, 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 what were some of the big crimes? <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, murder. How's how's that? <laughs> oh, you're getting, you're getting to the top of the ladder. There. Yeah. I grew up in the inner city. So uh, yeah, in Chicago. So it was not uh, always safe. Uh, that's why I spent a lot of time in my room reading books. <laughs> Stay out of the way of the gunfire anyway um so uh not a problem that isn't going to change their draft plans at all nobody is going to move up or down uh, as a result of that so that's good to hear no i I, i'd be i'd be surprised i thought you know somebody said oh that that locks in that at 39 and 48 they're taking receivers oh it doesn't Hmm. it's not going to change their their plan one iota for this weekend Okay. I'd say Thursday night, but they're not doing anything, but they're, they're eating food and watching TV on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's probably party night, Thursday night. This is like in, in the scouts world today is like December 23rd. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. And then you got a three day Christmas. There you go. I love, I love three day Christmases. Uh, Sanders. Uh, yes. Uh, Greg didn't say that uh, Watson was guilty of anything. I think uh, the words that Greg used were, uh, was accused or may have right. assaulted. So uh, he, he was not. I said may have. That's right. That's exactly what he said. All right. Um, we want to talk a number of topics today. Let's start off with the cornerback issue. You uh, contend that the Bears really do have to draft a cornerback in round two with one of those two second-round picks. Well, I, I don't say necessarily round two. Round two or round three. They can't wait till round five, and they don't have a four. Right. Because As it stands right now. Because you think that they're looking for a starter at that position, immediate starter, right? Well, a guy who's going to challenge for starting. And then somebody said to me on Twitter last night, well, you know, people are disrespecting Graham. Mm-hmm. Nobody disrespecting Graham. Graham is a totally unproven commodity. Mm-hmm. And he he didn't dress for several games last year. He didn't play till the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was on the inactive list for several games. And know that know why that happened? Because he had piss poor practice habits Mm -hmm. and so the coaches didn't trust him granted it's a new coaching staff and nobody knows anything and and it's what he does now I'm not taken away from his talent Mm -hmm. he has the talent to be a starter but you better have some damn competition in there absolutely because if he if he isn't the guy you're in deep trouble and and we don't you know I'm I'm a Kendall Vildor fan I think he's got the traits but there was too many times where you know, he blew assignments last year. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, Eddie Jackson, after the uh, mini camp was over, said a lot easier to, to do things within this scheme than it was before. Mm-hmm. So maybe that helps guys like Vildor or Graham. And, and, and the last thing I'll say about this is the coach has got a feel for what these guys could do last week in the mini camp. Mm-hmm. Granted, it wasn't a lot, but they're with them on the field. They saw them in one-on-ones. They saw them in seven-on-sevens. They saw how they reacted. They saw the movement skills. So they got a feel. And that, you know, they could come away saying, you know what, maybe we can get away without a guy at this position or whatever. But, you know, I I, I think – in every draft, corners always – hell, you can't get too many corners. Mm-hmm. Look at how many times the ball is thrown every game. Mm. And and you don't have two starters. You've got three. Right. Absolutely. I'm with you 100%. The cornerback, the value of having a good defensive backfield. I think uh, – what do you think about my thought? I think safeties have to be included in that conversation. Their, their value has increased significantly since the days of uh, when I was playing Sandlot football. You know, you need to put your best players up front and, and go get the quarterback. But now, you know, with the rules allowing quarterbacks more and more time to throw and with these quick-throwing offenses, you need uh, guys in the backfield who can guard. Right. And and the free agent they signed from the Titans has that ability. Mm-hmm. And and he, and I'm sorry, I can't think of his life, like Creek, Creek Shank or something like that. Yeah, when you say um, he, he was their dime back, meaning when they played six defensive backs, he was on the field. So he's on the field, you know, pretty good percentage of plays. But most of the time, he was put in a man situation on the tight end and did a hell of a job. Mm. So he's got man-to-man cover skills. He's got good size. He's a good hitter. Um, you know, and, and they brought uh, Houston Carter back, Carson back. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think the safety position, position is as bad as, as some people think. I think corner's worse. Mm-hmm. And history tells you you can get a safety in, in – free agency, undrafted free agency, and and get some that are turn out to be some pretty good players. Mm-hmm. So it's just the way, because when you're looking at priority of positions and value of positions, safety still isn't up here with some of the other ones. Okay. Uh, and the just- other thing I want to bring up, which, you know, we talked about last week is because, you know, Keep, people want to give me a hard time sometimes about arm length on corners. Well, Jordan Silvera is in the chat room. And, and Hi, Jordan. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I think so, Jordan should get a job as uh, McCreary's agent because he really puts up a case for him. No, I, 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 you know, spent a few hours last week putting together some numbers, and I went through this. I, I, I don't know all, who all the starting nickels are, but I got sixty-four starting corners in the league right now. Okay. Okay. For the AFC and the NFC, do you know how many corners, but of the sixty-four corners, how many have an arm length less than thirty inches? 
I know the answer to that question. I don't know if the chat knows because I only know because you told me. Because <laughs> that, that's painstaking. Work. <laughs> yeah. That's painstaking work. It's a good and he got twenty nine and a half, and he's a, he's a good player. Dante Jackson with Carolina yeah. is the only player in the NFL starting corner right now with arm length under thirty inches. Now, here's another number that to, to me is 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 even more. Uh, valid as far as length being important. Mm -hmm. In the AFC, there's only five guys between 30 inches and 30 and 7 eighths inches. So that means there's 27 corners in the AFC that have arm length more than 31 inches. Now you go over to the NFC Hmm. and you got seven guys and that includes Jackson, who is in his case 29 and a half, and he's the only guy, and then they go up to 30, and the next one would be 30 and one eighth. And there's a 30 and three ace, a 30 and seven ace, but the, there's a total of seven. There's a whole bunch between 31 and 32 and 32 and 33. Now it's rare that you get a 33 inch arm on a corner, but what does that tell you if there's one guy? And, you know, McCreary, he ain't even close to Jackson. He's 28 and 7 eighths. Yeah, that's a big So his, his arms are more than a half inch shorter than the shortest in the league. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't care if he goes in the first round. I hope so. Because my feeling is when there's guys I don't like. And I like the player. I like his film. Mm-hmm. His film was very good. His film's against college players. Right. Okay. And and he's not playing against NFL receivers. And yes, the guy plays good. And I think, you know, he'll play as a nickel corner in the league. I'm going to tell you right now, he's not as good as the nickel corner the Bears got. Mm-hmm. Tavon Young's pretty damn good nickel corner. So, you know, I I, I hope he goes high. I just don't want it to be the Bears. And, you know, we'll we'll see. I, I know that that Flus is big on length because I know the rules they had in Indianapolis for drafting corners. Mm-hmm. Now, signing one as a free agent, veteran free agent, he's proved himself in the league. And a college free agent, you know, you're taking the best of what's there and 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 going with some traits, and you're hoping, and so you're you're going to give up some of those traits it's drafting mm-hmm. and when you got a guy he's 511 and he's got 28 and 7 8 inch arms that takes his height down to about five nine five eight and a half yeah that's interesting thought so, so he he doesn't have that 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 length to he plays hard there's no question he plays hard and and he'll hit you it's it just yeah you know, I'm been doing this a long time and I go by the numbers a lot. And there's certain positions where I believe wholeheartedly in arm length. And that's across the offensive line. Now I'm going to give a little for center and guard and also across the defensive line mm-hmm. or so with your edge guys and your tackles, you can play with a, a tackle that has 32 inch arms. But you don't want an end with 32, you know, a, a rush guy with 32-inch arms. Right. 
No, Hutchinson yeah. got 32 and a half or 32 and three quarters. And some people are, are, are bitching about that. And there, there have been some good pass rushers, handful of good pass rushers that have been under 33 and that's fine, but still the, the majority have, have long arms. And again, I just, I go on that, you know, the numbers of what are the chances of success? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm making that pick, and, and and I appreciate Jordan's opinion, mm-hmm. but Jordan's not making a pick. Mm-hmm. Okay, now put put the card in Jordan's house, and he's got to make the pick for real. It's risky, is what you're, you're damn right. Because mm-hmm. you know what you're risking your job. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jordan asked me to re-rack this one highlight of McCreary, and I slowed it down here. Um, I think this is the play where he bats down a pass. This one here, yeah. Um, no, I, actually, this is the wrong play, but nonetheless, uh, that I mean that, that 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 was a good play on a guy on a crossing route to come. There's no question, mm-hmm. makes a good plays, but he's again he's doing it. First of all, that you know he's doing it against college receivers in a college game. The NFL game's different. You take it up a couple notches. Mm-hmm. And offensive coordinators are going to look for the weak spot in the defense to attack. And they're going to see a corner that's that's got no length. And who are they going after? They're going after that guy. Let me ask you, um, Dane Brugler in the, of The Athletic and his uh, The Beast draft guide writes about McCreary's uh, arms. Quote, his sub 30 inch arms fall beneath the threshold for several NFL schemes. Can you tell me, uh, is, is part of your issue with him the scheme that the Bears intend to run and, and that he doesn't, he's not a good fit for that? No, it, it, it's the position as a whole. Okay. Now, when I was a consultant in Philly, his name would not have been on the board, period, off the board. At wow. that time, based on who was running the defense and the scheme they were playing. If he falls to round three and some of you, the corners that you prize in this draft are all gone, would you then consider putting him back on the board? Well, I'm not. Yeah, yeah you got to look at it this way. I mean, as, as compared to who? Yeah. So now you're coming up with a. Um, and somebody put Cam Britt Taylor's my or Taylor Britt is my guy in in the third. It's a good player. He might not make it to them in the third. Yeah, there's a lot of people I've talked to around the league that you know he's he's their their guy that nobody wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I got my my guy's the guy Tennessee oh, Taylor. Gotcha. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, what's his name? First name Alante Taylor, I think. Alante, yes, yes. Um, but, you know, and, and then you've got a lot of these, these big tall guys, uh, who are going to go in the second and third round. Uh, you got the kid at Sam Houston, you got the kid at Texas San Antonio. They're predominantly press man guys. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they don't have very much experience playing in zone, very much experience playing it off. And so they're going to make mistakes, especially in off. Off is the hardest, in my opinion, it's the hardest coverage to play because you've got to anticipate so much. 
and you got to have that suddenness because you know you you can when you're impressed you can knock a guy off his route and get in his hip pocket and stay with him. Sometimes it's easier to do than when you're playing off and now you're reacting to the moves. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it it can be a lot more difficult coverage to play. Now these guys are going to be good players, but you can't necessarily expect them to jump in and play right away as rookies. Now talking to people who've worked with Flus in the past that he likes to use a lot of press. So that tells me that he may be good with some of these guys that have been predominantly press guys. And Mm. then if, you know, in the interview process, you find out what's going on upstairs Mm -hmm. and then you say, okay, yeah, he's fine. You know, we can teach him. He's coachable. We can teach him. He might not be up to speed at the beginning of the season, but we'll get him ready. Mm. And, um, then, and then you're going to go with him. Because don't forget, you're, you're not just drafting him for 2022. The minimum you're drafting him for is four seasons. Absolutely. And then he's got to prove himself beyond that to get that second contract. That's how things have changed. That's why I don't worry about age anymore Mm -hmm. we used to have you know in our grading system we had a circumstance number like a player would be you know i've mentioned before you could be an a68 or something like that or b66 and and, and c player would be somebody you'd take in day three right or you'd sign in in undrafted free agency but then there's be in between the letter and the grade there was three numbers, a one, a two, or a three, and sometimes there'd be nothing. The one was a circumstance, and it could be a variety of things. It could be level of comp. It could be a uh, one-year starter. Uh, it could be he's a transfer. You know, any, anything that, that's just circumstantial in the way he played. Mm-hmm. That and, and when you looked at the grade, it just – it, the grade itself with the number system told you a little bit of a story of what the guy was. Okay. If there was the number two in there mm-hmm. and you could have a, and, and you'd also have what we call a red one or a one, a red two or a two, a red three or a three. Okay. The red, a red is more severe. Okay. So another number circumstance, another circumstance thing was age. So if a guy was 23 was okay. If he was 24, he got a circumstance. If he was 25, he got a red one. But now that's like Kyle Long was 25. Right, when he was drafted. Right. And so you want guys, and I think Velas Jones, the wide receiver, was a pretty good receiver and returner. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's 25. Mm -hmm. So I think because of the way contracts work now mm-hmm. when you're not thinking 10-year career you're thinking four years and then go from there then it's it's just not as big a deal it as it was when I first came into the league and and you had you know when you drafted a guy he was yours he wasn't going anywhere unless you cut him mm-hmm. and you could find ways to hide him but you just can't do that anymore let me uh, uh, paraphrase a couple of the things that Jordan is talking about here. He's saying 
in the chat, you know, that he's never contended that McCreary wasn't undersized. It's that he has played at a high level against players like Dotson, Michi, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson, that those that he kind of defies those measurables that don't appeal to you. Uh, and so there are instances where certain players do that. You know, you've, you've talked about one of them, Dante yeah. Jackson. There aren't yeah. many- there, there's, there's an exception, mm-hmm. but when you look at the numbers, what's the exception currently playing in the, in the national football league? Mm-hmm. One. one, right, right. Okay. So do, isn't that a red flag? It, it would be for somebody who is a professional scout and their reputation and job matters. So, you know, am I going to jump on the table? And, and what it's going to get down to is this, uh-huh. is I can say whatever I want and a team's going to draft them. Doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter. It's the, and I've been a decision maker, but I'm not a decision maker right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm just flapping my jaws and, <laughs> You know, in the room, there's two major decision makers, Ryan Poles, and he's got final say on on the draft, and Eberflus, who is going to go thumbs up and thumbs down on some of these defensive players. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to say he, he's going to say they're going to make up their mind now. Their mind's already made up. Mm-hmm. Put it this way: it, you know, it, it's not something they're going to decide on Friday. Mm-hmm. It's made up now. They've made the decision. Yep. And maybe they're this. Maybe they're this. We will soon find out. Or or maybe it's like you said a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. I'm not taking him in the second, but if he's there in the third, we'll give a thought. Yeah. Um, All right. I want to uh, go into the chat, and people have questions about other cornerbacks. Like, for instance. A lot of those times, now they're they're come up. A lot of of these questions aren't coming up in here. Are Uh, you getting them in I, I get them all from I get them from the different sources, not only YouTube but also Facebook and so forth. So oh, I, see. I think that's the 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 issue there. Okay. Nomad is asking about Zion McCullum. He 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 thinks that that's got to be an intriguing player for you. What do you know about Zion McCullum, the cornerback? Well, yeah, I mean, when we did the corners, we talked about him. That's right. He's a guy that, first of all, his numbers are off the chart. Mm-hmm. You know, he can jump out of the building. He's fast as hell. He's real long. He's tall. But he played at a lower level of comp. So he hasn't faced top guys except at the Senior Bowl. Sam Houston State. And and he's been predominantly a press man cover guy. So he doesn't have that exposure to playing a lot of off and zone. Not Mm -hmm. saying he can't play it. He just hasn't had a lot of so then it's again the decision makers are going to decide and for all we know they could have gone down and worked this guy out mm-hmm. it's not like they're you know they're going to tell you <laughs> right you know an agent may leak it but they're not going to tell you mm-hmm. his 4.33 uh speed how intriguing is that to you for a cornerback in today's nfl very intriguing because I mean, you know, there's some really good ones that are four, five, five, four, five, seven. How about the guy down in Miami? Exactly. Yeah. He's four, five, seven. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, you know, instincts and quickness play into a two. Mm-hmm. And now with this GPS, the, the 40 speed can, can be, can throw you off sometimes. 
And I used to take, if, if, if a guy ran at the combine and he ran at the pro day and he might've run as a junior and they used to run all the time, you know, it's only been within the last 12, 13 years that, that, um, guys have only run like one time and shut it down. Mm-hmm. Now, their guys used to be, they'd run every day. There'd be, you know, I'd be there on a Monday and somebody from the jets would be there on a Tuesday. And, you know, you didn't have the formal pro days like that. You went into a school, you called the kid up, said, I'm here to work you out. Now you set up, you know, you'd call them the day before I'm going to be there tomorrow. Can you meet me at 10 o'clock? I want to do a short workout with you, get a time and everything else. Some of these guys, were, and sometimes they're running twice a day. Hmm. They're running for somebody in the morning and sometimes in the afternoon. But you ended up getting a lot of different times. Mm-hmm. And you can take a sprinter. I used, I used to run track, so that's why I like using this uh, analogy. Is that do, do the best sprinters in the world run their best time every time they step on the track? Absolutely not. No, sometimes there's a two-tenth of, of a second difference, if not more. You, you know, even for the top 100 guys, I mean, you know, you might one day you might run 986 and the next day run, you know, 1015 mm-hmm. or something like that. So you got to look at the play speed. What if the guy had a bad day at Indy? His leg was a little tight or whatever. You know, especially guys from the South. Devin Hester ran, I think, in the high four fours at Indy. And there were people weren't excited about it. And and that was on a harder surface at Indy. Hmm. Ten days later, down in Miami, he on grass, which is the slowest surface, he mm-hmm. runs four three three. Wow. Wow. Um, all right, uh, let me move to Victor De Jesus's question. Kobe Bryant, is he a good fit for the Bears? A kid out of uh, Cincinnati, I believe. Yeah, I, I wish you, I wish he was a step faster, but you know he he's been a good player, and he gets a he gets the ball thrown at him a lot because nobody threw it at, at Sauce. You know mm-hmm. they stayed away at Sauce, so yeah, he is. He can play in this scheme, and he's a guy that you're probably going to get in the third round. Okay. I guess, you know, I, you know, it could go late in the second, but you know, he, he, he's an interesting guy and he's a tall, long guy. And it, I'll tell you what, if you can find a tall, quick corner, they're worth their weight in gold. Mm-hmm. You know, and Tillman being, you know, you can't find those guys. A lot of your guys are, you know, they're five eleven. Five ten and a half, five ten and three quarters, and they got great quickness. It's the taller guys sometimes don't have that explosive quickness like the shorter guys have. But if you find one that does, man, they're 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 worth a lot, hmm. and you're going to end up paying those guys too, especially yeah. if they pan out. Exactly. Um- Jalen Petrie has come up. Uh, Ravi says uh, that he sees him going in many first-round mocks, uh, and I know, Greg, how you feel about mocks. But nonetheless, Jalen Petrie can play slot corner, uh, play that safety position, flex into a slot on three wide. He, he is an X-factor type of player. Do you agree with Ravi? You know, I haven't done enough on Petrie to have a strong opinion, so I promise I will 
because he's most likely going to be there Friday and we're doing a show Friday. So, um, uh, Ravi, re-ask the question Friday morning or Friday afternoon, whatever time we're doing that show, and uh, I will have an answer for you. And we're going to have a better idea on Friday exactly who the Bears are looking at. Right Mm -hmm. now we're throwing darts at a wall. And and I'll tell you what's unique, and, and this is, to me, one of the gr- really nice things about this draft mm-hmm. is that there is no consensus. And I've tweeted this out a number of times in, in the last few days. And I talked about it. I was on, on, on Sirius over the weekend and I talked about it. And, and it's like, if you could get and honestly get, it's impossible, but if you could, the top 32 in order, from every team, mm-hmm. how many names? I'm guessing right now there'd be 42 to 45 different names. <laughs> I, I would guess the same thing, especially this draft. It could be a lot higher than that number. Don't well, you think? Nobody even knows who's going number one. Yeah, exactly. This you know, is so, or two or three or four. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of intrigue in this draft. And there's going to be guys. You're going to get done Thursday night. You're going to go, holy shit. Look who's still there, you know, mm-hmm. because and everybody's opinion is different. And I'll tell you where it's really going to be uh, different. And I don't want to say out of whack because that's not the right word. But when we get to Saturday, this is a, a where, where the top of the draft is kind of average. You don't you don't got that Miles Garrett or that top quarterback, but you got a bunch of good guys. And it's really becomes what flavor do I want? Mm-hmm. You know, who mm-hmm. fits my scheme the best? Who do I like the best after, you know, the interview thing? You know, some of it's a love affair. You know, I like this girl better than this girl. So I'm, I'm putting the ring on her finger. So, <laughs> you know, it, it becomes a thing, something like that. But now you get into, into day three. This is where this draft is deep because you've got so many, for lack of a better term, Super, super seniors. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of six-year guys in this draft. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I, I, uh, and, my guys, and guys, five-year guys that played five full years, didn't redshirt. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and they didn't enter last year's draft because they were given that free pass to go back. And mm-hmm. where it might not have improved their stock to the point where, uh, you know, they were going to go in the first round but they became better football players. And so I think you're going to see once you get through the cut down process, and sometimes you got to get through say the first quarter of the season, because some guys are kept for various reasons. Then you got other guys on the practice squad or whatever could have been an injury in training camp, but you're going to see a lot of guys that went day three and undrafted free agents. Mm Mm-hmm. They're going to be productive players and be productive as rookies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My good buddy uh, Mike North tweeted out that he didn't think this was a very uh, good draft, uh, a deep draft, and I I respectfully disagree with him. I think that this that while there are no you know top of the line superstars, perhaps uh, as many, 
in the making for round one. I think this is a draft that you can find starters in round three or four and, and find some really nice surprises uh, in rounds five, six, and seven. Uh, would you not agree with that? No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and here's the thing. It, this tells you, and, and you know what? There's going to be people pissing them over. Why didn't they take this guy? I could go for like hours on this show if you want. I mean, this is, first of all, I hate the term best player available. Well, the Bears got to take the best player available. According to who? Who is <laughs> saying that's the best player? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mel Kuyper? Daniel <laughs> Jeremiah? Well, guess what? Those guys are good, but they don't count. Mm-hmm. The only board that counts is the one that's sitting in Hallis Hall. Is the one you made at Hallis Hall, correct. And, gotcha. and so, and you're going to have guys that have, there might be a group, they, they get to the second round, there might be a grouping of five or six guys that have basically the same grade. Mm-hmm. And now it becomes, okay, talent-wise, we're saying they're pretty much equal. So who are we going with? And then when somebody says, why'd they take him when so-and-so was available? Because that's what their board said. Mm-hmm. Right. So why bitch about it? You know, I guarantee you there's people bitching about when they took Darnell Moody a few years ago. Who's that guy? Cause, you know, Dave Bugler didn't even, he had him listed in the also rants in his wide receiver group. <laughs> He's like the third best wide receiver coming out of that class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and he went late. Khalil Hilbert, nobody had him high. Well, Hilbert's a pretty damn good player. You got you got to give Brian Pace some credit here now. Yes, Brian Pace's day three drafting was pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. And and Travis Gibson, Gibson, where'd they get him? Fifth or sixth round? Fifth, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Arkansas was then he wasn't he at Arkansas if I remember correctly. In any case, Tulsa. Tulsa, There you go. Um, Yeah, and and. I don't want to get into a whole Ryan Pace debate here, but wouldn't more no, I know. credit? I'm just saying, I'm just saying but it, it, it's beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Oh, yeah, and, sure. You know, there's going to be guys drafted in the third and fourth round that other teams have as free agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying that I think that guys, the- and there's, there's going to be guys that teams sign as free agents that they got mm-hmm. third and fourth round grades on. It's going I, I, to happen. I I just feel like the area scouts that Pace employed uh, did an outstanding job and that Pace made certain mistakes with major decisions for the team. So, um, but yeah, uh, definitely Pace found some, some, some gems. Um, well, here, all right. I want to well, go ahead, please. Here, here's what I've always said. The, the first two days, are the decision makers days because mm-hmm. they're you know concentrating a lot on those right the when you get into day three and when i started it was all i'll, I'll give you some stories in a sec when i started working in the draft the draft was on tuesday and started at eight in the morning eastern time and you finished up with round 12 at about three in the morning the mm-hmm. next day. It was all one day and it was exhausting. Then it went to two days 
and it was eight rounds. And then, you know, it's only recently it's been three days, but for, you know, most of the time I was with the bears, it was Saturdays and Sundays and you'd have rounds one, two, and three on Saturday, four through seven on, on Sunday. And, you know, we'd get in there real early on Sunday. They'd start the draft, what, at, at 11 o'clock central on, on Sunday. You'd, you'd get in and you'd you'd try to restack the board and stuff. Not really restack it, but who jumps out and pull those cards to the side. And you do okay. some of that, you know, at, at night, you know, Saturday night when, when you got done with the draft for Saturday. And then, and then uh, you know, you do that and then say, let's, you know, throw some names up there then sleep on it. And here's one of the stories. The one, so I think it's my second draft here, 2003. And we had the first three rounds on, on uh, Saturday and then the rest of the draft on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So the name that jumped out as we were going to bed and and going home on, on Saturday night was Alex Brown. Okay, so we got a, I think we had a low second round grade on Alex. Might have been a high third, but he was, I mean, there's guys that jump out like a sore thumb. And I I don't have that draft in front of me, but I think we had around the sixth or seventh pick. Mm-hmm. You could look that up while I'm telling the story if you want. You know, okay. the 2003 draft. Okay. But anyway... So we go back, we go, we talk about him on, on Saturday night and Phil Emery was the area scout and Phil had a lot out of him. Now there were some dings on, on uh, Alex because going into his final year, some people thought he might be a first round pick and, and he was written up that way by some people in the media. And, but there was a little bit of maybe laziness to it and work habits were questionable he didn't run as he ran like four, eight, nine or something like that. Four, eight, eight, if I recall. And so there, there was just some knocks on him, but now we're talking the fourth round and there's no, we used to always say there's no such thing as a fourth round bust. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he was the guy that jumped out. Well, I go and I swear to God, this is true. I go home and to my, my condo at the time and, I go to sleep. I start dreaming about Alex Brown. Like, and it's like, I wake up, I go, no, that, that I had like three different dreams about Alex Brown. So <laughs> I go in and I just walk in and, and we're just starting to mean, I said, I don't care what anybody says. I had three dreams about this son of a bitch. We're taking them. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. So I go, there had to be a sign. So now the phone starts ringing. Mm-hmm. And he's calling, you know, the trade calls, you send out a thing. There's a memo that goes out to the league, goes across the league to all the teams. If you want to make a trade, call such and such a number. In our case, it was Bobby DePaulo, who's the pro director. So he mm-hmm. would be the guy that would get receive all the calls because Jerry and I were busy handling the draft and right. and Bobby's office was 
connected to the draft room at that time. And we can tell another story about the draft room. Um, and, but this, at this time we would take a little break and I go into my office, which was also next to the draft room and my phone's ringing. It's Jerry Reese from the giants. So Jerry was the director of pro scouting. Then. He wasn't, he wasn't the uh, personnel director and, or the GM Ernie, of course he was. Greg, we want your fourth round pick. I said, you can't have our fourth round pick. Come on, Greg, you guys are, got a good team. You know, I mean, he's begging me. <laughs> so I said, Jerry, there's a guy we like. And if he's not there, we'll discuss it. You know, but it, it, so if he goes off and uh, did you look up and see what number pick we had? That Yeah. Um, oops, sorry, just lost it. Uh where is he? Where is you? Alex Brown, 104 in the fourth round. Yeah, but what, what number in the fourth round was that? Uh, let's see. In the top six or seven. Three, four, five, six. You're absolutely right. Okay. So I said, Jerry, if he goes in the first three or four, this guy we like, and of course I'm not going to tell him who the player is. I said, we'll consider trading down. So calls me back. Come on, give me that pick. Now, in the meantime, because I had worked for the Giants for 17 years, we were using the same psychological testing that the Giants were. And the, the same psychologist is the guy that was grading the test. It was called the CPI, the Cal California Psychological Inventory. And... Mm -hmm. It was a pretty good predictor in, in a lot of areas. And the, the Giants had all the data, you know, going back 25 years using that test on, on you know, how it related to good performance, you know, bust versus good players, et cetera. So okay. we were using the same guy. So the guy who ran this company that did this for the Giants was always in the Giants draft room and he was a friend of mine and I knew him well because I worked there 17 years and he's he's passed now his name was Dr. Joel Goldberg so again this is before the draft even starts on Sunday and I called Joel I go Joel you got anything really negative on look at your notes on on Alex Brown and he looks really good no no he's fine now this is you know, it takes five minutes, but basically he said, so sitting next to Joel in the draft room, when I'm having this conversation is Wellington Mara, the owner of the giants. Right. And Wellington said, who is that? So it was Greg. He said, what's he want? And he said, well, he's asking about this guy, Alex Brown. Wellington gets up and leaves. Oh no. <laughs> Wellington or, or Alex is the guy the Giants wanted. Oh, so my. now and and Joel had Joel knew nothing about who the Giants wanted and didn't want. He was there to answer questions if they had a question about the player. Right. From from a psychological point of view. Right. His, his expertise. Anyway, so we don't trade the pick to the Giants. We take Alex Brown and John Mara, who you know runs the Giants now, is pissed. Oh, I mean, you know, I, these guys are all my friends. 
Yeah. They think that they were going to fire Joel because they think Joel alerted me to the fact that they wanted Alex Brown. And I had to call John. I said, John, that's the furthest from the truth. (laughs) I said, he was always our guy. And I went back. I said, Jerry called me, said, we we want your pick. I said, we got a guy. And if he's there, if he's not there, you can have the pick. Amazing, amazing story. All right. It's fast forward just to, to, to finish it up. Sure. So Alex becomes an established player. And Alex and I, you know, became pretty close. Mm-hmm. God strike me dead if I'm dying. About six times every season when Alex came up to the second floor where the office had already come into my office, he'd sit down. Do you want to tell me why I went in the fourth round again? <laughs> Because he kept thinking he was going like at worst the second, you know, and he, and he just used that as motivation. Wow. He was an outstanding player for the Chicago Bears. And uh, let's stay on this subject. There's a couple of player evaluation questions that I'll get to uh, later, but let's stay on this question of stuff that happens in, uh, in the background, uh, things that people don't know. You shared a story. In fact, the very first time we had you here on the Barroom Network, I used a term for the draft room that uh, you interrupted me and said, no, 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 no. I don't like using that term. Why don't you share the story from not our interaction, but why you prefer to call it the draft room as opposed to what it has been called by many media members? I mean, you know, you you turn on ESPN or or the NFL Network and they've got – those cameras up in the ceiling that are, you know, and they're saying Chicago Bears war room, New York Giants war room, or whatever. And I refuse to use that term. And the reason being, and this goes back 18 years, is we were in our meetings a week, week and a half before the draft. And Teddy Monago was one of our scouts. He's now with the Rams. He's the assistant director of college scouting with, with the Rams. And Teddy was a, was and is a very, very good scout. But Robin Wilkie was Jerry's secretary. She comes into the room and she says, Teddy, you got a port and call. You got to take it. So Teddy, and now when we were in our meetings, we weren't supposed to be interrupted. But Robin looked shaken. So Teddy goes, I said, Teddy, go take the call. And uh, he comes back in a few minutes later. He's as white as a ghost. He's crying and, you know, very, very upset. I said, Teddy, what's wrong? He said, Pat's dead. I said, who, who the hell's Pat? And he goes, Tillman. And it was like silence in the room. And his mother is the one who called. And, and Tillman was very close. Tillman and Teddy were very close. They're teammates at Arizona State. Teddy was, you know, was a walk-on, but everybody loved him. He's like Rudy, so to speak. And Teddy and and Tillman had a very good relationship over the years, became very close friends, always communicated with each other. And so, you know, Ted was visibly shaken. I canceled the meetings the rest of that day. And then I started for the rest of that day. And I started thinking about it and I go, we had a sign on the door going in to our draft room and it said war room or something. And I took down the sign 
And I, I walked into Jerry's office. I said, Jerry, I'm going to send an email out to everybody in Hallis Hall that this room is no longer to be referred to as the war room. It's the draft room. We aren't at war, and it's disrespectful. They're at war over in Afghanistan. And we saw what happened as a result. You know, this morning, Jerry said, do it. So from that day, so that was... 18 years ago. So this uh, was 2004, I think. From that day forward, and I know when Phil Emery was there, it was still called the draft room. I don't know what they referred it to when Ryan Pace was there or what Ryan Poles is now. But I know, you know, because Phil Emery was in that room then. He was still with us for that draft. And so he he honored what what my wishes and Jerry's wishes were. But that's why I don't like the term. You know, I just think it's a disrespectful term uh, because we play a game. We play a great game, but we're not in a war. We're not in anything close to a war. War is hideous. Very that's well story. Uh, and it's a great story. Thank you for sharing uh, sharing it. And I, I'll never forget that time. Now, we were on uh, uh, doing a a, a barroom network show, 100 Proof, it was called at the time. And I mentioned, I said the word war room, and you immediately said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. I felt like, oh, what did I say wrong? But you explained it perfectly then and now, and really appreciate that. Uh, it's certainly uh, something that to think about for all of us who love this game of football, but need to put it in its proper context. All right, let's get to some more questions here. You know, Jordan asked a question about, and, 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 do scouts usually understand football scheme concepts, blitz pra practice uh, packages, protection slides, etc., or do they focus more on evaluating player skills? And 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 uh, so I guess for anyone wanting to uh, expand their knowledge of football scouting, how much should they incorporate into? Their, their knowledge. And I know yeah, you were talking about it. Well, you, when you start looking at guys and, and, and you're looking at them, for lack of a better term, half-assed early in their career, unless mm -hmm. there's rumor they might be coming out as a junior, especially at the Power 5 schools because you have so many guys at each school to look at. Mm -hmm. But you're at first looking at them you're looking at the basic traits. Do they have what it takes to play in the National Football League? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when you get into deeper study, you know, you're looking at the scheme they play in and does that scheme hinder or help their skill set? Mm -hmm. You know, are they, are they not a good fit for that particular scheme? You know, sometimes a kid gets recruited by a certain college and he's, and, and, and college coaches recruit guys that, fit what they're going to do. And then the head coach gets fired or gets a better job. And you got a new coach coming in an entirely different scheme. And it's the right. same thing that happens in the NFL. There's guys that were playing one year, aren't playing the next year because mm -hmm. they aren't scheme fits, mm -hmm. but yeah, you got to, I think we've, we've talked about this before. I wrote up the, it was me and the area scout who or the position scout, excuse me, wrote up, the profiles for the defense for every position 
when, when Lovey was here. So I, if there's one thing I know is that damn defense. And so, <laughs> and, and so you know exactly what to look for. Now, the only thing where right now where I may be a little off on is, and I called Ballard. I said, what, what's Flus like to do? I said, you know, because to me, defensive backs are hard to do. Because number one, they're not involved in as many plays as say a lineman. A lineman's involved in every single play. So, mm-hmm. you know, what's he looking for? What what do his corners got to do? And this is, I mean, it was an interesting conversation. And he said, Greg, he does so much more with that scheme than Lovey ever did. You know, and I guess the best way to put it was Lovey had Tampa two one on one and and. Flus is three oh three or four oh four. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. You know, he's he's does a lot more things within the framework of the base scheme than Love Lovey ever did, as far as disguising coverages, certain types of blitzes, disguising the blitzes, things like that. So, and you know, we predominantly play like two coverages when 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 Lovey was here, but you know, he'll play several coverages and he played like one coverage on one side and another coverage on the other side and try to confuse the heck out of the quarterback. So the sophistication from that standpoint is, is tough. So, and I don't know if I'm answering the question, Joe's question. The, guy, the guy asked, but it's, you've got to look at a number of things. And, and, and when you're talking to the coaches on a school call, you know, you've got to find out, the player's ability to learn and retain. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if, if you throw Devin was a, you know, perfect example. I mean, people at Miami told you don't throw too much at him. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just gonna, you know, get all confused and you can't hard coach him. You know, you, you, Devin responded to put your arm around him and love him. Versus what the hell are you doing type thing, you know? And, sure. and you got to know that about a player because every player, it's, it's every person is different. So you had to, you had to know, you know, exactly how, how to work with the guy. And that's what good scouts do. They, they find out everything they can. Now we, we put a lot on our scouts. We told them you can miss on the talent evaluation because we got people to back that up. Mm-hmm. Myself, Jerry, the you know the the cross check scout, the um, the position coach, the coordinator. So we were going to get a lot of different views on the on the talent, but we told the scout as he could not be one iota off on character and background information. And if we take this guy, and two days later we find out something that you didn't tell us you're the guy being held accountable. So you make sure you know everything. Jobs are on the line, right? I mean, it, it, it gets to that point, right? I mean, like somebody could, a scout could lose their job if they miss information. Uh, right, we, about- we, we blew a pick just because of that. And that guy, his contract, when his contract was up, he was, find another job. <laughs> All right, questions are piling up here, so let's get through uh, some of them. Um, Dom wants to know, uh, who was your favorite prospect 
And I think this is an ever question. Who's your favorite prospect ever to scout and watch tape of that you, this player just said, Holy cow, this guy is outstanding. Um, and I know you've got a better testing. My first, my first year. Okay. And when I was part time, mm-hmm. Lawrence Taylor. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> that. What were some of the things that were running through your mind when you saw that tape of Lawrence Taylor? Were, were you saying, saying things like, I've never seen anything like this before? No, you just go, wow. <laughs> and, 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 you know, he, he just, it, it, he made it look so easy mm-hmm. and he just destroyed people. Mm-hmm. And there, there was a thing, um, shit, now I can't think of the guy's, they went this I was not with the Giants healthy's rookie year, but this is like the first day they're in pads and they're doing a drill. It was really a, a the linebackers, we ran a three-four then. So the 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 outside linebackers were were rushing pass rushing and the running backs were working on pass blocking. And the Giants had a Run, veteran running back was a pretty good player at that time by the name of Rob Carpenter. And I, I, I thought of the story just the other day because there was a thing on the Giants uh, website about it being his birthday. Mm-hmm. But Rob had the misfortune of having to, like right off the bat, block Lawrence Taylor as a rookie, you know, like his first day in pads as a rookie. And Taylor comes in and just jumps right over him. And Car- I mean, Carpenter's totally embarrassed. And he goes, rookie, don't ever do that to me again. And Taylor, I know this is a family show. Taylor looks at it and said, fuck you, block me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, man. He just you know, pushed him away. <laughs> Great stuff. Um Let's see. I got another good one here from the past. Uh, In fact, this one just came up. Danger T asks, hey, Greg, is there a player you wanted, but the GM didn't, and the player turned out to be a pro bowler? (laughs) There has to be at least one or two of those, right? You ever say that? Pounding the table for this guy? I'm going to say this. There was, first of all, we rehearsed when I was here, we rehearsed everything very well. We would sit in Jerry's office and look at different packages. This guy in the first round, this guy in the second round, this guy in the third round. Mm-hmm. Versus saying trading down. And if you trade down, you're going to get this guy, this guy, this guy, and you can get so-and-so with an extra pick. And we, so we, we'd have all these different packages and we worked from a hot list. Our board, by the time my my last year here, our board was 85 players. Mm. And we got free agents out of that. You know, Mm. I mean, you fine-tuned it, so you only put guys that that you wanted. But when it was a pick, don't forget, we we went through all these scenarios during the meetings. And if I had displeasure with a certain player or a scout did, or, or, or Jerry did. We'd talk it out. And if you couldn't agree, you wouldn't take the guy. Hmm. We all had to be on board. Hmm. And the last thing you can have to do or want to do 
is if a coach is just adamant he doesn't want a guy, you can't take him. Because if you try to force a, a, a player down a, a coach's throat, so to speak, mm-hmm. he will find a way to make that player fail. Well, you shared that one uh, great story about uh, when Lovey first came on board with the Bears and he was doubtful about Lance Briggs because uh, he didn't have some of the measurables he thought were suitable. Lance Lance was the same draft that Alex Brown was. Okay. And so, and he played a lot as a rookie, but Lovey just comes into my office and I had on my board in the office, I had, you know, after we got done with the draft, we we're into the season. I had, um, you know, our team on, I, there was a couple boards in my office, but in, in the one board I had like our depth chart, you know, on these magnet cards mm-hmm. and, um, and it had their measurables from college and the grade we had on them from college, etc. And so, you know, I had Lance lined up as the, as the will linebacker and, Lovey looks at the the measurables. He goes, "I he can't play." Now Lovey didn't know the player, mm-hmm. you know. And I said, well, "What do you mean he can't play?" So Jerry comes in. Now Jerry's office is right across the hall from mine. So mm-hmm. you know, if Lovey walked into my office, Jerry wasn't was right behind him usually. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, look. I go, "What do you mean he can't play?" He goes, "He's four seven eight. He, I can't play with a four seven eight linebacker. I said, Lovey, trust me. I said he plays four five five. He's got rare instincts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I said, just you, you got to go with us, Lovey. And you know he played great his rookie year. So this is going into his second year. And and Jerry said the same thing. He said, Lovey, you're really going to like this guy. He's ideal. So. I mean, the rest is history. Lovey bought into what we were saying because we knew the player. Yeah. Lovey was a trait guy. So he looked at the number and he goes, he just looked at the number and said, I don't know. That's not fast enough to play Will Linebacker for me. Mm. You know, and, and so who's his Will Linebacker that he was used to? Derek Brooks was like a four or five, five guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it's, you know, you got to, trust that you got to trust the scouts that they know if, if we didn't think Lance could play, we tell him, but we already right. knew he could. Right. And as you're sharing that story, I'm thinking to myself, I bet you Jordan is going to, and then he did. He rewrite. See, I just need Greg to take this stance with a guy like McCreary. Sometimes it's not about stopwatches and measurements. It's about instincts, production, awareness. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? <laughs> you can play faster than four, seven, eight. You got GPS now to prove it. You <laughs> can't is... put a guy on the rack and stretch out those arms. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I All mean, right. 20, look, I, I, I could say something gross. I'm not. This is a family show. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Victor De Jesus wants to know, can you tell us any insider secrets of how teams share information about the draft? Does any of that occur where Team X tells Team Y, yeah, we hear this about this player or something like that. Or is it all misinformation that is sometimes shared? Well, t- tell us, because there's a lot of those mind games 
that happen, especially during this time. You 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 have famously said, you know, this is the lying season. <laughs> and uh, you wrote a great article several years ago for Bleacher Report on that. Uh, and you talk about it often on Twitter. What, what's going on there with inside? Yeah, the, li- the lying season's over with. Okay. The lying season starts in, in January. You know, and you start lying about players, who you like, who you don't like. Oh, we got him in the first round when you might have him in the fourth mm-hmm. or the fifth, you know, something like that. So it, it just, it, you know, it's, it's little stuff necessarily. You know, you just don't want to say what you really feel. But it brings up a, a, an interesting point on shared information. Well, I think we've talked about before, when you get to the combine, and they're doing the medicals. Mm-hmm. You know, they got to do um, orthopedic stuff, and then there's there's uh, uh, hard stuff, and every, I mean, it's the most thorough physical that a, a player is going to get in his whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, and it goes on for hours. But there's like six or seven, six orthopedic stations, basically rooms that, mm-hmm. and there's five or six teams in each room and if those teams are together every year. Okay. You know, the, the physicians are friends, the trainers are friends, they work well together. So from that standpoint, you're always sharing the information on the medical you're, you're with, with the teams that you're in the room with. So I know Pittsburgh was one of the teams that we and Miami was another team that we were in the room with. I don't remember all all six, but but I know Pittsburgh, Miami were well, we had their medical grades for every player at the combine. Mm-hmm. So and, and they had ours. So, you know, it was like if there was a medical question, you know, you'd say, okay. We used to give, you know, give a guy a grade of one, two, three, four, five, and you could get into a, you know, a red two, a red three, a red four, and a, and a five was a flat out, re, you know, medical reject. But if you got red three or below, that, that was a red flag, a red three, a four, a red four, or five, you know, there, there was concern. So, and you know, Tim Bream was the, was the trainer at the head trainer at the time, and he he'd you know keep track of all this stuff. So he and he knew what the other team's grading system, so he would translate their grade to our grade. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so we had that. And so from that standpoint, it was beneficial because just like teams don't agree on talent evaluation. Mm-hmm. that it can vary from team to team. The same thing happens with a medical. And you say, well, how's that? It's like black and white. No, it's not. Because a lot of teams, doctors deal with their experience. When, when they're putting a grade on a thing, they're dealing with their experience with a particular condition or injury. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's say a guy has an arthritic knee and the MRIs show that it's a bad arthritic knee. Well, one team, I say, well, uh, you know, we, we've played with guys with like this. And another guy would say, no, it's only going to get worse. It's arthritis, you know. So right. and, and, and that's where a lot of these things come 
come from. And, and you can, there's guys are going to get drafted high first or second round mm-hmm. that other teams flunked on a medical mm-hmm. or had a, you know, a red flag on mm-hmm. and it happens every single year. And you, you just gotta, a lot of times I, I know with, with, with the doctors, the bears have, they're not real concerned about some shoulder stuff because they're really good shoulder sur- surgeons. You know, it's like, I'll fix it. He can play all year. I'll fix it after the season. Interesting. It'll be fine. Anthony Miller, for instance, uh, maybe that's why he was uh, drafted. Uh, um, yeah, I, but I don't know if he, I don't recall, you know, obviously not in the, in the draft room. I don't know. I don't recall if he had a history in college with shoulder. I think he did, but uh, I'd have to research that. Um Another player, perhaps, is uh, Tevin Jenkins. He may have fallen to the second round because some teams thought maybe his medicals on his back, the the, the issues that he had with his back in college, were a problem. I'm speculating. Well, he, the, the issue he had with his back did not wasn't until his final year, correct? And the final game of his final year because he didn't play oh, after that. I he said, I, you know, he opted out the rest of the season. There was a couple games left, and he did something with his back. None of us know exactly what happened, right. and and the Bears aren't obligated to tell you. But Ryan Pace did say it had nothing to do with that problem. It was a new issue, and and he said yes. that too. Tevin yes. he said that too. There there was a a problem with Justin Fields mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that came out. What the hell is it? He has um. Oh yeah, uh, I think it was epilepsy. A, epilepsy. That's right. That's right. Okay, and it was a thing that that he outgrew and and the doctor said, Hey, he's fine. Mm -hmm. There hadn't been an issue with this thing. I'm like, bet like since he was a little kid, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was, he took some medication and he was fine. So, um, but you know, I, I, when you have these medical meetings, we used to have these medical meetings kind of late. And then we decided, no, we got we to gotta know early. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want the scouts to waste their time. Makes sense. Doing work on a guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we'd come back from the – we'd have a, a, a medical meeting right after the combine and to go over and eliminate guys. And I'll tell you something, it's not fun because mm-hmm. there's guys that you might have second-round grades on that you really – eyeballing that you want mm-hmm. and the doctors break your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. And you can't, you, you know, they, Hey, they got, I know what I'm doing and they know what they're doing and I got to believe what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Greg, Nomad asks: is there a limit to how many UDFAs a team can sign? Well, you can't have more than 90 on your roster, you know, okay. more than 90 players. Okay. At any given time. So, there's that limit. No, you can sign as much as you want. And, and somebody asked that, and I answered it on Twitter, and I, I, I didn't give a half-ass answer, but not a complete one. Mm-hmm. You got X amount of dollars you can use on UDFAs. There's a pool. When they started doing this, okay. used to be you, know, you could spend whatever you want on, on um, signing bonuses. Mm-hmm. And now it would come off of your cap your rookie pool, you know, you had a rookie pool, mm-hmm. but there was no limit as to, you know, some teams would spend a lot of money um, 
and they'd lose that. So you, you, the guy that got drafted is, is getting short-ended sometimes because you spend so much money on signing, signing bonus money. Right. So we used to cap it, and then the league – came in and decided to cap it. It started off at $75,000 when I was still there. And now it's up, it's over a hundred, but it's not a lot. I don't even think it's 120. It might be, Mm. but that is, so, you know, you could sign 20 players and give them five grand a piece as a signing bonus. And that's a hundred thousand dollars. Right. But there's some players that are in high demand and you might have to give them 12, Fourteen, fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars in order to get them because there's a lot of competition. So it's how you divvy it up. But this is how it's changed now, and and this is just in the last say three years. Mm -hmm. To get around that, you still got that 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 solid figure that the league gives you. Mm -hmm. They start guaranteeing part of the first year's contract. Okay. Okay. So. In other words, you, you, it's, it's a rookie minimum, whatever that is now, 500 and let's just throw a number out there, $525,000 for this year, whatever. And I, I might not even be close. Okay. But out of that 525000 100000 is guaranteed. Hmm. So regardless if he makes the team or not, he's getting $100,000. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And, and I- when he gets, when and if that player gets waived, there's a notation on the waiver wire mm-hmm. that says partially guaranteed contract. So if you're going to claim that guy, you're claiming that guarantee. You're going to be paying them whatever that, and you got to you know go to the the contract book and find out exactly how much money is guaranteed. More often than not, those guys, if they get caught, they end up on the practice squad because then it, the language off it, it offsets. You're paying them anyway. You might, <laughs> yeah, you know, interesting. So now you just pay them out of practice squad money. The so talk me, t- take me through that process. The draft is over, and now there's like that's when you can officially start calling these undrafted free agents, and then oh, who shit, is going a long time before then? Oh, really? You are so you're, oh, you're, if you don't get drafted, we're interested. You're calling them. You, you're calling them last week. Okay. You're recruiting, you're recruiting them. Okay. We okay. used to bring in on our 30 visits, mm-hmm. at least 13 of our 30 visits when I was there were guys that we weren't going to draft. Mm-hmm. And and it was strictly for free agents because we wanted to get the medical. You know, and when you brought a guy in, you had to give a medical. So that was part of the league rules. Mm-hmm. So you bring him in, you give him medical, you find out if he passes, and you'd start recruiting him. He'd meet with me. He'd meet with Jerry. He'd meet with the position coach. He'd meet with the head coach. He'd meet with the coordinator. And we lay out a plan. And we tell him right off the bat, mm-hmm. we are not drafting you. Although I hope you get drafted. But if you don't, we want you. We and, want and, you. And this is why. And this is the plan we got for you. And this is why we think, you know, you're a good fit for us. And then you keep and now he doesn't like hearing. Yeah. <laughs> He's not gonna get drafted, but he appreciates that you're being honest with him. Well, and now it's there's, like there's there's uh, one player I told mm-hmm. that to that we drafted. And he went to the Pro Bowl. Who's that? 
Anybody name guess? Is Graham, and he went to New Hampshire. Oh, um, 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 oh, what's his first name? Um, and he's from Buffalo. The wide, the wide receiver, Jeff Graham. Is it Jeff? And he 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 got injured, I think, against Northwestern in the opening game, hurt his ankle. And he was and and he was never able. He didn't work out at the combine. One, some scouts really pressured him at the pro day to run, and he couldn't mm-hmm. run worth the shit. Oh my! You know, he, he ran like four six five, four six eight, which which killed him. Now with with Corey Graham, he was a local kid, mm-hmm. local kid for me. He's from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. He was a New York State, the Catholic school hundred meter champ. I knew he could run. Not only did I know he could run, he ran in a track club in the summer. And one of his teammates was my daughter. Ah, so inside information. <laughs> I, and I might have told that story before, but my, you know, so I, Corey knew my daughter, my daughter knew, I mean, they knew each other very, very well. And they're both sprinters. Mm-hmm. But I remember, you know, Lovey saying to me, is there any dirt on this guy? You know, this is in our meetings. I said, I'll, I'll, I said, I, I haven't gotten any. The area scout, you know, didn't have anything. I think it was Rex Hogan. Everybody had, you know, nothing but great things to say about him. So I, I, I called my daughter. I said, Ryan, I said, uh, tell me about Corey Graham. And I said, and I want all the dirt there is. And I know you know the dirt. <laughs> and she said, there isn't any. I go, there's got to be some dirt. She goes, Dad, there's no dirt. And <laughs> so, you know, I came back and love you. said, that's good enough for me. So, <laughs> I love that story. That is great. Um, yeah, quick question, a quick follow-up on the UDFA uh, thing. Uh, so immediately after the draft, not immediately, but the half hour or so, the GM comes out with the coach and they start answering questions in, uh, about who was drafted. And they will say, yeah, our guys are in there making calls right now for UDFAs to you at the UDFAs. Who are those guys? Are those the area scouts? Oh, or, oh, okay. So they know they, they've been given parameters as to how much to offer these guys like a, a player. A. Well, Stein's doing the contracts right now. I would say I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they're having that meeting right now as we speak. Okay. You know, I mean, he's doing it before the draft. These are the parameters, yada, yada, yada. And going over the whole whole contract thing with the guys. But you're constantly calling the guys during the week. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and especially when you get to Saturday, Friday night and Saturday morning, you're calling up. Hey, look, I, you know, I hope you get drafted. But if you don't, we really want you. We're not, and again, you're honest. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're not going to draft you as it stands right now. So, but we do want to sign you as a free agent. And this is the app. So you got to keep recruiting them. And, and not only do you call the kid, but you call the agent. But the agent cares about one thing. Show me the money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, because he's getting a piece of that. So, Sometimes the player, you can sell the player, but you don't have the agent sold. And then you got, then you got to have the player sell the agent. I want to go to Chicago. Right. Right. 
Yeah, I think that's my best. And and he might have a better signing bonus somewhere else. Mm. So it, it's very competitive. And and for the most part, it's all done within two and a half, three hours after the draft. Mm-hmm. Those deals are done. Right. And and like Tony mentioned earlier, sometimes it's better for somebody to go undrafted because they might get that signing bonus. Like I remember. No, you know, I, I, I said here a signing bonus better in the sixth or seventh round. That ain't happening because you know, you've got that cap on the bonus money. Okay. But I, I, okay. So maybe the benefit is the uh, amount of money, uh, the the, uh, the obligation in terms of years of the contract that you can manipulate that better as an undrafted free agent. Like when Lyle, a lot of times you're going to give him a, a lot of times you're going to give him a two year deal, okay, or a three year deal. But you don't a, a drafted rookie automatically gets a four four year contract. Okay, right. Okay. So, so but an undrafted. You can give them a one year, two year, three, you can give them whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a, a, an agent could say, I would prefer that you become an undrafted free agent because then you'll sign a two year deal. And then by that third year, you're going to be asking for $20 million or whatever. Uh, well, he's oh, going to be, he, he's going to uh, become a restricted rights free agent after two years. That's right. There's that whole thing. <laughs> so, you know, the team still got him. Yeah. This and, thing and is, unless they wave their, their, their rights to him. This thing is but built up if, so if, much. If he deserves some money, he's going to get paid some money. I mean, it's not, you know, but, but, and, and the same thing, if he's played like, like three years, like Bates from Buffalo, mm-hmm. not, now he's, he's a restricted free agent mm-hmm. and he's tendered money. And then, but you, you're free to go after the guy and offer him a contract. But the team that has his con- that has his rights is free to match the contract, and that's what happened with Bates. Mm-hmm. Buffalo matched the contract. Gotcha. All right, uh, Jordan has an interesting question. I'm going to kind of rewrite it a little bit. You know, a lot of people in the National Football League, like Lovey Smith. Uh, 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 Chris Ballard, a number of other people. Do you have conversations with them? Not all insider information, but do you have conversations with them that kind of give you an inkling as to where they might be leaning uh, with their drafts uh, selections? Do I have conversations? Yes. Oh, like hell, you- Ballard will lie to me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What was the story about Roquan Smith and Ballard? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, we talk now. We'll talk maybe to, probably tomorrow night. Uh huh. <laughs> and I remember we're, we're, this is a couple of days we're going over. You know, he it, it, it's he had five and the Bears had seven, or he had six and the Bears had eight. Whatever pick Roquan went at, mm-hmm. and the Colts were like two picks ahead. Mm-hmm. Knowing Chris and knowing his love of defense, and they were playing, you know, Lovey's defense. You know, you look at Roquan, you say, "Oh my God, that that's he's got Will written all over him." And so we're going. You know, he's saying he thought certain guy would go here. Another guy would go there. This is, it was his thought. And, and I said, I got you taking Roquan. 
And he goes, oh, Greg, you know me. And so, you know, I I took the almost like you, he's saying, you got me. Right, right. And then we got to Quentin Nelson, and he goes, well, really like him. Mm-hmm. But there might be an issue with a knee that I don't know if I'm totally comfortable with. And so, you know, right after he takes Nelson, I send him a text. I go, you're a lion MF. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he, he sends me back the laughing faces. <laughs> I love it. That is well, I put it this way. I, I knew going into that draft that Buffalo was either going to get Quentin Nelson or Roquan Smith. Mm-hmm. And the Colts were going to get the other guy. But I yeah. thought for sure the Colts were going to take Roquan and and the Bears read and the Bears were going to get Quentin Smith, Quentin Nelson. Interesting. Danger T asks, have you ever went into a draft and thought this is a terrible draft? I don't even feel comfortable drafting. You know, the quality of drafts change year year to year. Uh, but you, did you ever encounter one in all your years in the NFL where you said, man, this draft just sucks, man. We better get top players. No, and out. no, no, because I, I think our guys did a, I mean, you look at the jobs some of these guys had that were on our staff mm-hmm. and they all got high level jobs in the league or most of them. You know, we had a really, we had a small staff, but a quality staff mm-hmm. and, I think we were very well prepared. Now, I know going in to the uh, 2007 draft when we took Greg Olson, and Greg Olson is the guy we wanted. Now, that's before Mike Marks came and ruined it. Um, we didn't really have a fallback guy. We were picking like 26 or 27. Mm-hmm. And if Olson wasn't there, we were trading down. Okay. And we didn't think, you know, Olsen ran in the four fives at the combine. Mm-hmm. And we were like, shit, you know, we're never going to get this guy. But, you know, we got him. And, uh, uh, but I remember in the days, you know, Jerry would, I, I, I was always calmer than Jerry. Jerry would panic. I don't have a guy if he's gone. And, and Jerry, don't worry about it. He's going to be there. And, uh, that is but funny. we, we'd, uh, and then of course he's heavier than a pig. And you know what, when, when Greg was there. So <laughs> that's great. But no, I, I, I think every draft is a good draft. Now, like this year, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't want to be picking in the top five this year. Mm-hmm. Because you might get the same value player at 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. You know, where last year you had those those guys that you knew were going to go high and a bunch of teams wanted them. So, you know, that's a lot of times the media will characterize it as, as a weak draft based on that. And, right. and your buddy Mike North was one of them, you know, <laughs> today in, in, in one of his tweets that I saw. But, yeah, yeah – that if you're picking in the top five, top six, you know, you might not get all excited. That's why I think it's going to be hard for teams in that area to try to get out. They probably want to get out and they can't get out. You're, you're yeah. stuck. And so, mm-hmm. and which means you got to pay them. And that means, you know, the higher the you get picked, 
with a first round pick, it's when you get to that fifth year option, that mm-hmm. number goes way up too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yep. all based on it's all based on where you get picked. So you're better off going down. That's why the Giants want to get out of one of those two picks. Mm-hmm. You know, because of that, and, and they'll even swap one for a one next year plus something else this year. You know, just to to get out of one of those picks, but. It, it, it's it's if you do your homework, you're going to get good players, right? Just be prepared. And in your preparation, I, I've said this a number of times. You always have to expect the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw some interaction with you and and some of your Twitter followers re- regarding Kadarius Tony, and I saw that you wrote about Tony's talent but that he was a head case i think it was the word that you uh, he just, he's immature okay okay um he's had issues when he was in florida not always the most reliable guy mm-hmm. i mean you know it, it's it's not like he's a criminal mm-hmm. but you're spending a first round pick on him and he might not be reliable talent there's no his talent's up here Mm-hmm. They talent-wise, they took they got a hell of a player. But when you deal with all the other stuff, like he does, you got a new coach and he doesn't show up for the early minicamp. Mm-hmm. And he missed games last year, and he had trouble learning the offense last year because he just wouldn't bury his head in the in the book. So <laughs> you know. So then the word gets out that the Giants may want to trade him. Well, right away, if a team wants to trade, if, if you put it out that, if I put it out that I want to trade a guy on my team, I've already lost any leverage I got. Mm-hmm. You know, because you, you're dead. In the, as soon as they said that, as soon as that came out, you aren't getting anything higher than a low day three pick for him. Yeah, yeah. Why should I take your problem? And I got to take on that contract. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you really got to love uh, what he, the tape that he put uh, in college to even entertain that thought in my mind. Um, Tony asked the question, any scenario at all that you see the Bears trading up? Because he is concerned that the Bears might miss out on one of the elite wide receiver playmakers. Um, no, I number one, they don't have the capital to trade up. And I think he's trying to save on that mm-hmm. from everything I've been told to people that know Ryan polls is that he, he's going to be very conservative in his thinking on this. You know, he's not going to be real, real aggressive. And he, he said this morning in his presser, he's looking to trade down, but you got to have the right deals got to be there. And I already, I know what he means. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll try to explain it is that, You've got values on these players. Okay, now there very well could be, when you get done with the first round Thursday night, there could be four or five guys, six guys that the Bears have rated as first round talent. Even though, and, and you know, you can say with Kansas City said they only got 15, 18 guys with first round grades. That's true every year, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But then you got the next guy that are, you know, I call them 20 to 40 guys. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and you've heard me say that where they could go at 20, they could go at 39 and they're the same 
pretty much the same level player, maybe a different position, different person, but the talent level pretty much equal. And I, you got a lot of that this year, but it wouldn't shock me if, if at the end of the, the first round, there's a bunch of guys the Bears had in the first column mm-hmm. that are still there. But they're going to be looking at this and they're going to say, and, and this is what's going to happen. They're not going to be doing, they might be making some exploratory calls now. Could Would have probably started yesterday. But you're just saying, hey, look, when we get on the clock at 39, there's a couple guys we like. Who the hell knows if they're going to be there? If they're not there, we may be willing to move. I just want to let you know in case you want to come up. That's all you say. Right. You never tell names. You never say, you know, I'm, I'm looking to get Joe Schmo. And um, then you've also, when you're going through your, your planning scenarios, you, you're kind of like drawing a line in the sand. Okay, I'm at this is what I can get at 39, and they're gonna know more Thursday night what they can get at 39 than they're gonna know Thursday morning, mm-hmm. you know, based on, on what came off. So they're gonna say, okay, I can go back a certain point and still get a player at a certain level, mm-hmm. and I don't want a chance losing a player at that level. So it might be, and I'm just making the number up, 44, 45, 46, something like that. And if I go below that, then I'm dropping down a little bit, and I don't want to do that. So knowing that then, Friday morning, you'll call again. You might call 40, 41, 42, 43, 44. And say, hey, you know, I don't know if our guy's going to be there. Just want to let you know in case you want to come up. You know, or maybe you go a couple spots beyond that. Mm-hmm. Because there's always going to be, you know, the difference in, in, in how teams have their, their board. You can maybe go a few spots lower and still get your guy. Mm-hmm. So, and now I know looking at the chart, if they drop down – about five spots, so around 44. That'll get them a fourth. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they don't have a fourth. So uh, that part is, uh, you know, would be an interesting trade in that it gives them, a you know, an, an early pick on Saturday. And one in the first quarter of the round, so to speak. Now, if you go farther than that, now you're talking, you know, maybe a, a, a late third rounder. You know, depending, you got to, again, you got to look at the points. And, you know, sometimes day one trades, you got to pay a little more, especially if you're trying to, you know, depending on who's available and if you're going up, say, to get a quarterback or something. Mm-hmm. And teams will know if you're going up to get a quarterback. I mean, you know, your needs are jumping right out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like like the Bears last year, why would they trade up unless it was to get a quarterback, right? So the team they're calling, they can they can squeeze your nuts a little more. Mm-hmm. They know you want that player. 
mm-hmm. that particular player. But when you get into day two and day three, it pretty much stays pretty even to the charts. And, you know, there might be a little bit of a variation. Now, it used to be, and I'm not so, I'm not totally up to date on this, that if you want, let's say, okay, the Bears don't have a fourth round pick. Right. And there's a player sitting there in the fourth round that they really want. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, they're not, you know, they're not going to trade down and, and, and because they only got, no, they got the two fives and a six, I think. Mm-hmm. So, and they, they want that, that talent. Generally speaking, to get that fourth round, it used to be you had to give up a three next year. Because you're not, you know, it's not like you, you got to pay a little bit of a premium because that team's waiting a year for that player. You follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, does does Ryan want to do that? Start giving away next year's picks to get a pick now, mm-hmm. and especially in the and they've got preliminary stuff on next year. Well, hell, a third round might be pretty good next year. Yep. You know, do I want to do that to get it? And and it depends on the grade they got on the player. If it's a you know specific player, and let's say they say, hey, this guy can. Play for us right away. Maybe you do it. You know what? I'll give up next year's third mm-hmm. to get this guy. So that that's basically how it happens. And Ryan Pohl said uh, today at Hallis Hall that they've spent the last couple of days rehearsing the draft, going through all sorts of scenarios, who's on the phones, who's doing this, who's doing that. They even rehearsed trade scenarios where people would call in and say, I'm offering you this, just as you explained it right now. Is, is, was that a tactic, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, that you uh, used when you were the director of scouting for, for the Bears with uh, Jerry Angel as the GM? No, we do what I just say, which is pretty much the same thing. Yeah. I mean, like- you know, I'm calling I'm calling teams and letting them know. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew in, in 2006 when we took Devin, we had a, a, a late one. I, the plan was get out of that late one mm-hmm. and we ended up trading. We got a second and a third, I think out of it from, from uh, Buffalo. And, and uh, we got uh, Daniel Manning in the second Devin in the second. And I think um, Dusty was in the third mm-hmm. um, with the one pick. So, I mean, we got, but we had, I'm going to say, eight or nine teams, you know, because we had made those calls. We had eight or nine teams calling for that pick mm-hmm. at the end of the first round. And and Polian wanted it real bad with the Colts. And he, he's like, you know, and, I'm, and, and we had, I mean, Bobby's talking to some teams. Jerry's talking to the, We had so many calls that three of us were talking to teams. <laughs> and, and you know, it's like, well, well what's it going to take? And you know how he's got that temper? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> you know, finally, I just said, Bill, I, I got better stuff. Bye. And I hung up the phone. And, and, <laughs> I love it. And, 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 we, and we took the offer from Buffalo because we started – it was basically – 
and you got to do this fast. You only got a few minutes. Yeah, that's but, no man. You know, what's what's the uh, what's the best scenario? What can I get with this pick, this pick, and this pick? Because yeah. they're telling you what pick they're giving you. You know, uh, they're going to give you uh, forty-four and you know sixty-two or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and so then you're looking and say, okay, what can I get with that? And what can I get with this? And then you say, okay, I think this grouping is the best to mm-hmm. accomplish what we want to do. Great, great insight. Uh, let's see if we can get a few more questions uh, answered here. Um, of these defensive tackles, who do you like best? Perry and Winfrey, Travis Jones, Logan Hall, or DeMarvin Leal? Leal. Well, I don't like Perry and Winfrey. I've had too many people give me negative things, and we talked about that when we did. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say I don't like them. Mm-hmm. There's um, – where you got to draft them, I don't like them, is the better way of phrasing that. Okay. Okay. You probably got to get him in the second round, and I don't think he's worth a second round. Okay. To me. Okay. There's, there's, you look at his tape from Oklahoma. I thought he was very ordinary. Okay. He had a great senior bowl. Mm-hmm. So what? What did he do during the year? You exactly. know, some guys, you know, yeah. and there's times, that I saw on tape where he's going this way and the ball's going this way, mm-hmm. you know? So I had, I had questions about his, his instincts. Um, he'd flash. And then, you know, I, I, I called a friend of mine around, you know, in the league and I said, is there any football character issues with this guy? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, he's a typical JC kid. And that's all he had to say. Because then, you know, the, the connotation. Sure. Uh, of the JC kid. Why were they, you know, usually they went to a JC because there was something wrong to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, either marks or uh, work ethic or something there, you know, he was screwing up somewhere. And then a lot of kids, you know, you, 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 they're not, they don't have that seriousness and training and, and getting ready for games at a JC as you have at, at say a power five school. Mm-hmm. Some JC kids take longer to, you know, get it right, so to speak. Right. And, and so to get that's active. a player. When you, when you look at some of the traits, you say that's a three. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then when you really go into it deep, well, if that's a three, I got to get in the second round. I don't want them. Mm-hmm. And say so the, the, now the other two names he had there, there was three, but the, uh, I think the kid from Houston is probably no throw out Wyatt because Wyatt's going in the first round from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Okay, Wyatt could play three in this defense, you know, with his his explosiveness off the ball, but he's going to be gone. So you take him out of the equation. So after that, the next guy is the kid from Houston, in my opinion. He's got to get a little bigger. You know, he, 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 but what he can do right away when he comes in is he can be an interior pass rusher. Mm-hmm. And Flus is going to rotate. He's going to dress seven or eight defensive linemen every game, and they're going to play in a rotation. Mm-hmm. Might be a 60 40 rotation or whatever. But on passing downs, that guy, you're going to have that guy in because he's a pretty damn good interior pass rusher. He just might not be there on base downs to start off his career until he 
you know, gets a little stronger in, in the lower body. But I, you know, he's a, he's a good player. I think it's 50 50 or less that he's there. A lot of people like that guy. And, and you know, that, I'm sorry, that's the guy from, from where? I'm, I'm Houston. To, okay. Houston. I'm trying to find his name here just to make sure. Oh, I think Logan Hall. Well, okay. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. And then the favorites in my next mind. guy to me would be Leo from Texas A&M, who has played inside and outside. But, you know, he's had some up and down play during the course of his career. I think the safest pick, if, if you're saying, okay, I'm going to take a three. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think they got three. They got two threes. They got Mario. I think Mario Edwards is going to be a hell of a three, to tell you the truth. And, you know, he's he wasn't really big enough to play how they were playing him last year. But when you look at his athleticism, mm-hmm. you know, he's a very good fit for the three technique in, in, in this scheme. And then they they signed Jones when when uh, the one deal went south because of the flunk medical. You know, they the next day they went out and signed Jones from the Chargers. So I think they got two threes. I'm not going to say it's a top need. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, put it this way. He he might lean towards big guys. Mm-hmm. He him being a big guy himself, but in my opinion, right now, of course, we none of us were at the the mini camp last week. I would say that's fourth on the need list, as compared to offensive line, wide receiver, corner. Okay. Um, Leo asked a question that I'm really interested in uh, because it's part of what I'm going to be talking about uh, tonight's Dan and Aldo Bear Their Soul Show is what offensive lineman would you like to see fall to 39 for the Chicago Bears? Is there somebody like a Bernard Rainman who you have said you you suspect he is going to be a first-rounder? Would you like to see him? I, I think he's going to be gone. If he's there, he's got to be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but the guy that I think well, he's not quite a plug and play, but he, he'd end up being a plug and play if they took him and only because he's got some issues with his hand use, but you can fix that right. is, is Smith from Tulsa. Tyler Smith. Okay. He gets outside with his hands too often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's coaching, you know, and he'll get called for holding. And if you watch enough tape, you keep seeing the same thing and, and he's not, going from the inside out. He's going from the outside in and he's going to get called for holding a lot on that. Um, There is, I have been told that there might be a a slight knee issue with him, but it's not, not enough to say that you wouldn't take, I think he had like a surgery. He was um, knock kneed and had something done to, get rid of that mm-hmm. knock need type thing. And I don't know exactly what was done, but I, I, I don't think it's a big issue. Now, you know, the doctors are going to know a lot more than me on that one. Sure. Cause I don't know the whole story, but that's a guy, there's a tackle I really like, but he's never 
and he might be the most athletic guy after that those first couple guys. And that's the kid from Washington State. I think his name is Lucas. I don't have my list in front of me. Abraham uh, Lucas. Yes, but he's only played right tackle. Oh, I didn't know that. He's easily athletic enough to play on the left side, but he's only played. It's not like you know, like Tevin Jenkins played games on the left side in college. Mm-hmm. Slater last year played games in last year's draft, played games in college on the left side. This guy's been strictly a right tackle. So, you know, I don't know what their thinking would be then. But if you if you get a guy that you know you can put in at left tackle, then I would see my thinking is this. What they try to do in free agency, they tried to get an interior guy base. So that to me, and, and pay him money. So that to me says that's more of a need than the tackle. Okay. Because where follow the dollars. And where were the dollars going? Dollars were going to a guard. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, if you were to get somebody like Smith from, from Tulsa, I would think you could move Borum inside. I think he's mm-hmm. got that, that versatility. And going from, you know, he played right tackle, he played left tackle, and put him at right guard, that shouldn't be a, a problem for him at all. But other than that, you know, there's the Iowa center could be there. I think that that's another 50, 50, the biggest thing he's got going against him that teams are concerned with is the arm length. He's got 31 and an eighth inch arms, which are really short for, but his tape is outstanding. Um, Now that 31, and this is just for Jordan. The 31 and eighth inch arms on the center aren't as bad as 28 and seven eighths on a corner. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Tony says, do teams always honor their board or do they sometimes go off script? I've never Ryan been Pace. in a draft room where they didn't honor the board. I know Ryan Pace said that uh, his experience at New Orleans, there were there was a time or two Maybe that they didn't honor the board, but that they reached for someone. Yeah, I guess they didn't honor their board. And he said we paid the price for that because we drafted more for need than what our board told us to, to go for. So it does happen, but you it's never happened with you. Huh? Never happened in the room I was in. Okay. Um, Leo asks, Poles has mentioned that he really likes the Bear Scouts. Uh, how many do you think foresee him keeping around? I mean, that's you, you, you'd be throwing a dart at the wall there, but uh, at the board. But any thoughts on what the future of the Chicago Bears scouting staff could look like next season? No, but I've heard from people around the league that they're understanding that he's going to keep most of them, that he likes them. That's great. It doesn't mean he's going to keep all of them. Right. And some of them may want to go somewhere else. You never know. Absolutely. You know, um, somebody may retire or or whatever. Um, you know, Mark Sadowski is the director of college scouting. And I really like Mark a lot. And he's an excellent scout. He was on my staff. I'm, I'm the guy who brought him to Chicago. I stole him from the Saints. His contract was up. Saints thought they were going to 
he was going to re-up with them, and we got him here. And Mickey Loomis was pissed off. So, and and he called Ted about it. That's how peyote was. And Ted said, well, and, and so Ted comes in and he's like, oh, I don't know if we should sign this guy to a contract. I told him, hey, this contract's up. He never committed to them. Mm-hmm. And then he asked Mark. And Mark was in the building. We had Mark in the building. He hadn't signed the contract again. And then Mark told him. So Ted says, keep him. Interesting. Interesting. But, Let's- you know, because he's in a decision-maker position, uh-huh. and now Ryan's already brought in two guys. He brought in Ian Cunningham from the Eagles, and he brought in another guy from the uh, Chiefs and gave them – you know, titles, decision-maker titles. Okay. So does Mark stay as director of college scouting? Now, that's a title with him, but they're, you know, like when I was there, I had the title director of college scouting, but there was nobody in between me and the general manager. Okay. Now you've got uh, Ryan, you've got Ian. You've got the guy they brought in for Kansas City, and I don't know his name. And then you got Mark. So he's like fourth man on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even though the title was the same, the job description's a lot different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure I like all of those layers, uh, that hierarchical organizational chart. Uh, The more people that can report to the top guy, I, I find, at least in my corporate experience, I can't speak for sports at all, but in my corporate experience, I think it, you get better results when when everyone feels, everyone that is a, a, a director at their position is, is feeding information to the top person and everyone is aware of that information that's being fed. But that's, that's corporate America. I'm not sure if that would translate perfectly to um, to sports. Well, I'll say this, Aldo, and that is when a GM comes in, he wants to have some, for lack of a better term, lieutenants mm-hmm. that he can trust. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's brought in two. Mm-hmm. Does he bring in any more or is he done? Did, did he get the guys he wanted and so now he's going to go with what's here? Yeah. I get you. Uh, and as Adeptus wrote in the chat, boy, I would love to have that continuity continue, ma- try to maintain as many of these scouts, because I, I don't think, you know, Bears fans really shouldn't have a problem with the scouting staff that Pace assembled for the most part. Um, they've made some good day three and day two picks for that matter. There have been There's some- only two left from when I was there. And that's Mark and who else? Jeff Shiver. Okay. Okay. And, and, and I know – Jeff's getting to a point in his career. Jeff's been there since 86. And he's getting to a point where, you know, he may be thinking of retiring. I haven't talked to Jeff in a few months, so I I don't know if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great guy. He lives down in in West Lafayette. He's the mayor of West Lafayette. And, you know, what what he's going to do, and I'm sure he knows, and, and, if anybody's going to get let go, you're going to know about it next Sunday or Monday. Yeah, it happens that quickly, huh? Yep. 
that's maybe Tuesday, Tuesday at the latest. That is so sad. Somebody well, sometimes they'll let these guys go and it won't, you know, won't the league will know about it, but the media might not know. About yeah. Somebody's got to make a TV series on a, a professional scout, even baseball, football, and so forth. Cause it's to me, it is such an interesting life and so filled with conflict. I mean, these guys go through so much. I mean, you've you've shared uh, over the course of you doing your show here, you've shared so many interesting stories about everything from travel to uh, uh, draft room intrigue to this and that and so forth. And I know that you've got a lot more stories to share. I know you have not opened up the full chest of stories that would make a, a great I, I told you I missed the birth of both my daughters. Yeah, I mean that that is so difficult. And to, it's not to, that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't get home. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's just awful. That the frustration. You know, I mean, I, I, my wife goes into a labor that turned out to be a false labor. I go home and I stay home. I say, and I'm I was home like five days. And my boss calls me, the late Tom Boyshire. You, you got to get back out. You've been home a week, man. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So I go from Buffalo to Lansing, Michigan. And I went to a game at Michigan State on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, I was still in Lansing. I was going to make a school call to look at tape and stuff. At, at Michigan State on Monday, and then I think I was going to Michigan. And because they're only 70 miles apart, 75 miles apart. And I get a call at four in the morning on Monday morning. My water broke. Oh, well, God. I guess I got to come home again. Well, <laughs> I got my car, but I can't get home fast enough driving. That That's a six-hour drive. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I said, okay, I'll drive to Detroit, the Detroit airport, which was an hour and 15 minutes away, and I'll get the first flight out. Well, you know, the first flight was at 7.05. I easily got the first flight, but my kid was already 30 minutes old when that plane took off. <laughs> Man, that's wild. So, I mean, what, what, what am I going to do? Yeah, you can't do anything. Can't do anything. It's uh, one of the many tough things about the job. And yet, tons of people want to become scouts. Aaron, the Bearded Bears fan, co-host of the Barfly Tailgate Show, a.k.a. the Aaron Current Show, says, how do you get into scouting? Is it relationships that you build? Where would someone start if they wanted to be a football scout? It's what I wanted to do. And I I think I've related this before. I was playing minor league football and my coach was working part-time for Buffalo and he knew how much I wanted to get involved. And he introduced me to the right people in Buffalo. And I ended up having a, a great mentor and Norm Pollum who died a few years ago. Oh my God, friends are dying. I think I'm getting old. Aldo. <laughs> no, you're not. You look 10 years younger than the first day I met you. I'll tell you that. So, but that, that's how I got, I mean, it, it's something I knew. I, in fact, I was working as a stockbroker when I got involved in this full time. So mm-hmm. that's the, and, and I'll be honest, I didn't like that business because I'm not a salesman. Mm-hmm. 
and you got to make cold calls and all this. I don't like doing that. I'm with you, man. I, I can that. sell you a player, but I don't want, I, I, you know. <laughs> exactly. I'm with you. Now, I, 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 and I'm not a scout, but what I would say to people is look around, if you're a young person, look around at high school football programs and get involved there. You know, either by learning the game, uh, you know, do your research on who is a really good high school football coach in your area and see if you can work your way into the door there. So that way you're not only learning the particulars of the game, but you're also starting to network. And then if you could get into a college programs uh, uh, and then once you're into that program, whether it's a, a towel guy, you can start to matriculate your way up the ladder is one thing that I would suggest. Is, is that a valid suggestion, Greg? Well, I mean, anybody I've ever hired has always played the game. Now I hired four guys when I was with the bears, Sadowski we talked about and he was with the saints. So mm -hmm. I knew Mark on the road. I didn't know him really personally. I just saw him, you know, we were at a lot of schools together and, and you saw how he interacted with coaches, with players, you know, his work ethic, how he did his job. So you knew he was good. Okay. Ballard was the defensive coordinator at Texas A&I, now called Texas A&M Kingsville. And he wanted to get in scouting, and he had let Jerry know. Jerry had a real tight connection going way back when he was the director of player personnel at Tampa mm -hmm. with some people at Texas A&M Kingsville. And Chris, now Chris played at Wisconsin, but he's from the Houston area originally. And so Jerry knew Chris and the day Jerry got the job, he let two guys go that he just knew weren't going to be fits on the scouting department. So this is in June, 2001, mm -hmm. but he threw it in my lap as to who we hire said it, you know, I'm going to give you this name, but you don't have to hire him. You talk to him. And if you feel good about him and you want to hire him, yada, yada. And, and he gave me Chris's name. And I, I talked to Chris four times before I hired him, but it was all within 10 days. And I'd have real long conversations with him. And what I used to do was try to talk somebody out of it. And part oh. of it was, you know, the story I really, you know, about missing the, the birth of my kids and, right, right. and, you know, the technology then versus the technology today is mm -hmm. totally different. When I started in scouting, I had to carry this big 15, 20 pound Kodak 16 millimeter projector around, you know, and you'd <laughs> go into school and you'd look at, at 16 millimeter film, you mm -hmm. know, not, now everything's digitized and you take out your your iPad and you're connected and bingo, you got games. How about that? Yeah, I mean it's just so it's so much easier. They all scouts today have no idea how hard we worked. That mm. you know, they, they got it so easy now. Just carrying the projector was a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, Matthew asks, what does Greg think about the role of analytics in scouting? 
That's a whole you new know, thing. I, I, being an old school guy, and mm-hmm. and there was no such thing as analytics for actually a good part of the time when I was scouting. Mm-hmm. And indirectly, we were you we were like making up our own and not calling it yes. analytics. But right. you had to do it all longhand, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, know, you had to sit around and do the math and and figure out things like like in quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd break things down on quarterbacks, what they did on first and ten, what they did on uh, third and long, things like that, and 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 break in in the course of a season and break that down. So yeah, that's analytics. We just mm-hmm. weren't calling it that. Right. Uh, it's become very important, but I but I just don't want somebody said sleep in a cheap ass motel. Bullshit. We stayed Marriotts. Uh, <laughs> get those Marriott points, baby. There you go, and baby. They had, a rate. They had a, a, an athletic rate that you could get, so you were in for about <laughs> 30 40 percent less. That's the Chicago Bears. They put up their uh, their people in good hotels. No, it's, that wasn't just the Bears. That was around the league. The, oh, okay. The NFL. I mean, everybody, every you'd go to a Marriott in the Concierge Lounge during uh-huh. football season. It was ninety mm-hmm. percent scouts having breakfast at six in the morning. That's wild. And I'm not lying. I mean, it was you just you know every time if you're going to the University of Utah, it was at Marriott across from the you know, the Mormon tabernacle, if you're, you know, mm-hmm. if you're in Lansing, there's a Marriott right across the street from the, from the campus at Michigan state. So. Hey, Greg, to your point about analytics, uh, I, I told you that I was watching the show on the NFL network called caught in the draft. It's a six part series. I recommend it for anyone who likes the history of the NFL draft. And one of the things they covered was it was the Dallas Cowboys who, first originated the whole idea of taking all of the metrics of a player, how tall they were, arm length, all that stuff, and putting it into a computer for easier and faster access. And, you know, I I, I would suppose that probably was the birth of at least digital analytics being used to help football. Well, it was really digital, if you want to call it. I mean, that that goes back to the 80s, the early 80s. Right, right. And they were, you know, when I started off, I was working part-time for Buffalo, and they Mm -hmm. were in a combine with Dallas, San Francisco, and Seattle. Mm -hmm. So it was was called Quadra. Mm -hmm. And Gil Brandt, who was with the Cowboys, and and he was the, like, the main guy. And another uh, guy, Dick Mansberger, who was with Seattle, they were the the two technology guys, say, (laughs) if you want to call it that, but, you know, computers in 1981, 1982 are not like they were now. I mean, when I started scouting, this is how I did reports. They were handwritten with a pen, you know, and and nobody could read by writing, which was good. So (laughs) but I tell you, when we started using computers, reports got longer. And that's not (laughs) because you only had so much space to write on. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I, I I think I was in. I think I was with the Giants maybe five years before I started. We started using computers, so that would have been at the end of the eighties. Mm, okay. Um, a couple of great questions here just came in. Uh, Nomad wants to know what were your eating habits when you were on the road. Awful. 
<laughs> That's one of the dangers of being. But I, I, I would religiously run 45 minutes a day when I was on the road. Oh, that helped burn off all those cheeseburgers you were eating. <laughs> and if, you know, I, I, I try to make it a point to get to know the strength coaches mm-hmm. at schools and, and have a good relationship with them. So then I could, you know, you get done watching film and you might have an hour and a half before um, practice started or something. And, and the players were in meetings, so the weight room was free. Mm-hmm. You know, you go in and see if you can get a workout, shower and stuff. And, and 90% of the time, they're very obliging. Mm. The NFL no longer uses the Wonderlick test, but Dented Fender wants to know, did you find it useful? Yeah, I can't use that one term. No, it's useless. No, I'll tell you why it's useless. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wonderlick is based here in Chicago, at least it was. Yeah. Actually, it was based in Libertyville, I think. And we brought them in to talk about the tests and, and learn. And, and at that point they've been using the test for years. So this is, you know, this is probably around 2005, 2006, somewhere in that, that area. I'd been here a few years already. Mm-hmm. And the guy from Wonderlick said that test is designed to be taken one time and one time only mm-hmm. in ideal conditions. It's a 12 minute test. There's 50 questions. You answer what questions you can. At the end of 12 minutes, put the pencil down, you're done. Okay. And your score is however many right answers you got. And, you know, like the first question, each question gets progressively harder. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the first question might be Monday is what day of the week? <laughs> and the second question, like two and two might, is, is, you know, so. You know, if, if you scored a three or a four, that means you were, a, you know, pretty idiot, pretty much of an idiot. But uh, because those are the real easy questions. Mm-hmm. And then you got to, so by the time you got into the questions in the 30s and 40s, there were some difficult questions. Right. So, and they, they would tell you, read the question. If you don't understand it, go on to the next one. Don't, because you only got 12 minutes. And you got to get as many right as you can. But here's the key. He said, once you take the test, you take it again, it's easier because you've already been exposed to it. Now, they got different forms. They might have 10 different forms. So the mm. questions are different. But how the test is, how it's written up, it's the same no matter which form you take of the test it's same test Mm -hmm. and so he said it becomes invalid well we were seeing guys you know first they'd they'd give the test that used to be a day the junior pro day where you could weigh and measure the kids some of them they don't run anymore but years ago they used to weigh measure and run them as a junior and and you'd give them the wonderlick test so you'd Mm -hmm. have that test then You'd get them again at an all-star game. Then you'd get them at the combine. And so you'd have like three tests or whatever. And every time the numbers kept going up. 
Hmm. Now, I was with the Giants, they'd give them the highest number. So let's say he got 15 the first time, 18 the second time, and 24 the third time. We'd give him 24. Well, the guy from when we brought in the guy from Wonderlick, he'd say, no, it's 15. That's what he did it the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, Aren't and, you? and he, so then that's when I, 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 I found out that the test is unreliable because at these camps, the kids go to to prepare for the combine. Mm-hmm. They take that freaking test every day, oh. every single day. And mm-hmm. there were guys, there was one wide receiver, and I can't remember his name. He went from a 27 the first time he took it, which is a hell of a score. That's the score I had, mm-hmm. to a 48. Oof, at the combine. Well, you know what 48 is? That's Einstein. Genius, yeah. You know, that's a genius. Mm-hmm. And this is a freaking wide receiver. So <laughs> it's, it's, it, it just learning how to take the test makes you get that much better. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and the guy from Wonderlick said, look, if, if, if you're going to have, they're going to take it multiple times. He said, do this. Try to find out the conditions for the first time he took it. And if those are ideal conditions, that's the number you go with. Okay, if you don't know if it was ideal conditions, he goes, make sure you, you check the scores. Mm-hmm. And he goes, if, he, if his score rose more than four points, mm-hmm. throw it out. Mm. It, it's not indicative of what the test is trying to find out. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, uh, Cliff says that you probably – oops, let me get that out – Cliff says that you probably can tell you and other people of this profession, scouts, um, how smart a guy is almost as soon as you meet him, right? And you start talking to him, you get pretty a pretty good sense, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, but yeah, I'm gonna say this. See, this is another thing that uh, people say it is that you know the Wonderlick test might be race biased. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there are some damn good football players mm-hmm. that had great careers that had real low Wonderlick scores because mm-hmm. they had great instincts. And I'll give you one. Frank Gore. He had like a four in his Wonderlick test, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, you know, see, and that's what, what does, what if you've got dyslexic, dyslexia mm-hmm. or you know, another kind of a reading problem. You're not going to score good in that test because right. you only got 12 minutes. Does mm-hmm. that mean you're not an intelligent person? Mm-hmm. So we stopped. I, I, you know, I, I, I can't tell you what the people did after we left, but when I was there, mm-hmm. it didn't mean a whole lot. Yeah. You know, when we got the whole thing, there, there's other things we did to find out intelligence and part of it too was was, was t- you know talking to the coaches how do they learn and retain is, is football important to them mm-hmm. like frank gore and i might have told this story before you know i made a school call to miami going into his final year it was during two days and the uh running back coach i was with joe collins who's retired joe at that time was working for i think the giants 
And he, it was just Joe and I talking to the running back coach. And he, he said, you know, Frank's not a book learner. He's going to be real slow that, but he knows football. He's real smart. And he goes, he will work his ass off to know things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he said, and he, he told us the story. He said, when he was a freshman, he was, you know, been there a week. He's struggling with the, with the playbook. And the coach said, look, you're just going to have to sit down and, and just keep going over and over and over. Well, he'd stay up. This kid would stay up late at night. And the coach said, I get a call. He said, we're one weekend to camp. I get a call at two o'clock in the morning from Frank Gore. He says, coach, I got it. <laughs> you got what? He says, I got it. I know this now. <laughs> you know, and, and the kid just willed himself to learn. That's awesome. And that, you know, that, that shows when you see he had about a, what, a 15-year career or something. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just an amazing career. And, yeah. and you can find stories like that all over. So, you know, to answer, I, I know I went about 15 minutes on a two-second question, but. <laughs> That's okay. It's, it's, the one it's like me nothing to me. Yeah. Now, what it, about. Cheat on it. It's too easy to cheat by just practicing taking it. Right. Now, what about this uh, mental aptitude test, which uh, uh, Justin Fields had the, uh, maybe the highest score ever? When he I'm took not, a- I'm not real familiar. That there's different tests that are used. Right. And some of these things that are new just within the last few years, mm-hmm. and and some of them are really good. I don't know the inner workings of some of these tests. We use that test that I talked about when I was with the Giants, and so we used it here. And then we had a separate little test to score intelligence, and it was six questions. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, really depending on how he answered that, those questions, that was um, like the one, one question was rules are made to be, and then you had to finish it. Ah, um, broken. <laughs> no, no, but you get a lot of answers like that. And then you say, might have a problem with this guy, you know, <laughs> I get it. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and Cause the right answer is, you know, for the good, for the good of society to, you know, function. And, <laughs> Why but I agree I with you. When, when I first saw that, I go broken. <laughs> Well, and that, that's another thing that I kind of learned uh, in uh, some of my corporate leadership classes. They would invite all us directors in to take these tests and so forth. And so an answer like the one I gave, according to this one professor from Stanford who was giving these tests, would have said, well, th- this guy here is probably a creative person. Because if he if that's his answer, you, you can, you know, creative people are tend to break the rules and to think outside the box and so forth. And, and so my answer wouldn't have been wrong and it wouldn't have been right. It just it, it would display some of my characteristics and how I think and stuff. So for that, whatever that's worth. Um, I think, you know, we've got so many more questions. And so I'm going to leave it there though, as a tease, come on back. We'll be here Friday. Uh, Greg is going to 
evaluate the first round for us and then evaluate the players still available on the board. And, well, uh, deal, you know, the first round is going to be history mm-hmm. and none of those players are going to be our players. Mm-hmm. I don't care who they are. I want to, you know, who, who are we going to be looking at? I'm with you. Friday I'm night. With- and, you know, what are, what are the chances of uh, knowing that? What are the chances of possible trade down to get more draft capital and and go from there? You know, and then you know, let's let's see what's real. Right now, it's all mock draft fantasy football, and you've seen a hundred million of them by now, mm-hmm. and none of it means a damn thing. And reality is Thursday night, and thirty-two guys are getting drafted, mm-hmm. and these are the guys that are left. There you go. There you go. And I appreciate everyone, uh, those people in the chat room who have been uh, urging others to hit the like button, to share it uh, with friends and so forth. We really appreciate that. That would help this show grow. Uh, The more the audience grows, uh, the the more it's possible for us to do more things and greater things. Uh, But uh, I'm not sure Greg Gaber can be any greater than he already is because you are absolutely fantastic. Everyone in the chat room says that this is like a taking a master's class. Uh, so it's very useful information. Your storytelling is outstanding, Greg. I really appreciate uh, well, the two hours that we two and a half. I get what you told me you were going to do for me today. <laughs> yes, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, absolutely. I got it right here. <laughs> I got it right here, circled, my man. So. Um, uh, I will leave, I will let people know that we have a show tonight. Dan and Aldo bear their souls. We're gonna have some fun. It won't be as uh, instructive and educational as as Greg. And it's gonna be two guys who are just talking talking fart jokes and stuff, but also talk about the NFL draft. That's at eight o'clock. Dan and Aldo bear their souls and a lot more programming. Just follow us on Twitter or follow us here on the YouTube and hit that subscribe button. You'll get updates every time we are live. I, I, I'm gonna say this on on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. I will, because you got a lot of time in between picks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try to comment on as many picks as I can. Oh, nice! You know, on Twitter. And, Excellent. Uh, and I, I, I got to know one thing, because you're on the, the the left side of the aisle. Are you going to leave Twitter now because uh, oh, Elon no. Musk is buying it? No, absolutely not. I, I, I'm. Really interested in seeing, and I'm just busting your chops because I, I, I saw stuff last night. I was just laughing. I'm leaving Twitter. Where are you going? <laughs> no, exactly. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to Facebook. They got even worse problems over there. <laughs> okay, or, or you can go to Parler or 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 Trump thing, and that's, that's right. going to be all conservative. So you yeah. know, it's like stay where you are. <laughs> That's right. I, you know what? There are some uh, uh, things that he has suggested, which I think everybody will like. For instance, an edit function. How many times have you written something and you say, "Oh darn it, I I, I, I phrased that wrong." You can go. You will now be able to, if Elon Musk has his way, go in and edit something that you've typed, and it'll say it was something edited. that you already tweeted. So you can go yeah. back to a tweet that, instead of deleting the tweet. You can go back and fix it. Exactly. See, I, I got typos all the time. Me too. And sometimes if, it bothers if, if you. Me. Read my tweets. I go, huh? What's your typos? <laughs> your typos are like your. You're, uh, you know, you're going so fast. Right. Right. So and anyway, I never use my laptop. I never use my laptop. I, well, I always do. 
I, when I use my phone, uh, the, the spelling errors increase by uh, 3,000%. Uh, make sure you follow Greg on draft night at Greg Gabe. G-R-E-G-G-A-B-E. Follow him. You will get uh, his live interpretation of the draft. That ought to be tons of fun. And then on draft night, we'll ha- we're having a special show here. Danny, Neil, and myself will evaluate what happened in, the, in round one. Tons of stuff happening this week at the draft. Uh, when are you at- doing that after round, after round one? After round run at 10, 10, 15, the draft usually ends like clockwork at 10 p.m. So we're, we expect to go on 10.05 or so. So if you want to join us, come on by. Oh, Although, I'm going to bed, man. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> That's late for me. I go to bed early because I, I get up early. You get up at what, 4.30? Nah, five. Sometimes I'm up at 4.30, but, you know, usually five. Yeah, once once in a while I see you tweet something out at five a.m. and I'm I'm like, you know, it's eleven a.m. when I wake up. <laughs> you just look at some of that. I've I've tweeted at that time. You just look at, at the timestamp on some of that stuff. I have seen that. Yeah, you and Mike North, you you guys uh, like to wake up at the two hours you know, before that, the crack. That's age. That's it. That's the age. You can't. You know, you can't sleep. <laughs> I hear you, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm there already. To be honest with you. All right, everybody, uh, that is it for this episode of Gabriel Talks Football, GTF, I'm now calling it. We'll uh, see you on Friday, and uh, uh, Greg, as they say, the check is in the mail. (laughs) Really, though. See you later. Bye-bye.